This episode is sponsored by 5.11, a company that I've used for well over a decade and continue to use to this day. And 5.11 is offering you guys, the audience of the Behind the Shield podcast, a discount on every purchase you make with them. Before we get to that code, I want to highlight a couple of products that, again, I personally use today. One of the most impressive products they just released is their Rush Backpack 2.0. Now, for many of you, whether you're going to the fire station, the police station, whether you're traveling with your family, whether you're taking training courses, we have to fly, we have to drive, we have to take trains. And I have to say, I own multiple backpacks, many of uh, 5.11's different ones, but as far as a day pack, this one was the most impressive. There are so many different compartments. The way it sits on your back is incredibly comfortable. If you are a concealed carry person, there's also a spot for a weapon. So they've thought of multiple, multiple things that a man or woman would have to do on a daily basis. That is in addition to all of the products that I talk about a lot. Their uniforms fit for men or fit for women in the first responder professions. The footwear that they offer, whether it's the Norris sneaker or the Atlas system that is designed for foot health and therefore knees and back and hips and shoulders and neck. As a civilian, I live in a lot of their clothes as well. Their jeans stretch. You can actually squat down in them. We live in Florida here, so I wear a lot of their shorts, which again, very, very lightweight material. You can get it wet and it will dry almost immediately. And then moving to the fitness and tactical space, I used to have just a regular weight vest. Recently, I switched to a 511 vest and actually bought ballistic plates as well. My thinking was simply, if I'm going to have a vest, why not have one that protects me as well? And that TAC vest is trusted by law enforcement all around the country. So I mentioned they were going to offer you a discount code. So if you go to 511tactical.com and enter the code SHIELD15, S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5, you'll get 15% off not just that one purchase, but every time you visit their store. And if you want to learn more about 5.11, their mission, their products, then listen to episode 338 of the Behind the Shield podcast with the CEO and founder, Francisco Morales. Welcome to episode 528 of Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome on the show Jason Wheat and Steve Davis. Now, for many of you out there, I'm sure you're fully aware of the mandatory vaccination imposed on many healthcare workers, first responders, pilots, and many, many other professions out there. I want to preface this interview by saying a few things. So firstly, I myself chose to get vaccinated. Now, this was when we were under the impression that vaccination was going to fully immunize you and you were not going to be able to carry and spread the virus. Obviously, later on, we found out that wasn't the case. But the underlying glaringly obvious element of this mandatory vaccination is a absolute failure in leadership to where we've allowed a health issue become so politicized that there is no good common sense information at the middle of the road. We've got people on the left and people of the right tearing our nation in opposite directions where no one even really understands the safety of vaccines, the importance of underlying health, and some of the dangers of being vaccinated and or being unvaccinated. I had Dr. Chris Colvin on the show, episode 501, and we spent two hours discussing Everything he sees as an ER physician, EMS medical director, a veteran, when it comes to the efficacy of vaccinations, the high level of mortality in the unvaccinated in his ER and ICU. So I want to preface that first. Episode 501 is an incredible resource to talk about vaccinations and health. 
These mandates, however, are affecting my brothers and sisters and men and women all over the globe. And so what I want to do was bring on Steve and Jason. Steve was just terminated. He's a battalion chief at Orange County and was terminated for not enforcing a list that actually had people on it that shouldn't have been disciplined in the first place, that were exempt, whether they actually got the vaccination or whether they had religious exemptions. So I see this mandate as a completely separate element as health. And when we talk about this, we'll talk about the dismantling of the wellness program, the health program in this same agency. So my stance is very much, we have had 18 months to address the health of many, many nations around the globe. And if you look at the healthy countries, Scandinavia, for example, you will see how they've come out of this incredibly well. The key factor is that it wasn't politicized and they for decades have focused on keeping their men and women in their countries healthy. So regardless of a virus, whether it's obesity, heart disease, diabetes, strokes, they're protecting them against all of these. So I wanted to have a middle of the road, common sense conversation with Jason, who was in their wellness space for a long time, with Steve, who just got terminated protecting people with this whole debacle, and speak for everyone else who doesn't have a voice. So I urge you to listen. It was a great conversation, about two hours again. We talk about wellness. We talk about these mandates. We talk about the mental health impact of some of these mandates, the impact on experience in fire departments and police departments and hospitals with these mandates the impact on families' financial income with these mandates, and so much more. So before we get to that conversation, as I say every week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Every five-star rating elevates this podcast, making it easier and easier for others to find. And this is a free library for you, planet Earth. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to everyone else who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I introduce to you Jason Wheat and Steve Davis. Enjoy. So I'm sitting here with Jason Wheat and Steve Davis, and we are in Steve's house. So I want to start by saying thank you for the hospitality today, Steve. Of course, not a problem. Glad you guys were able to make it. So we listened to Jason's story um, on one of the previous episodes with Dave Coughlin talking about the 343, which is a kind of irony about that, and we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, so Steve, I'd love to just stay with you for a few moments and get your kind of backstory. So starting from the very beginning chronologically, tell me where you were born and tell me a little bit about your family dynamic, what your parents did and how many siblings. So uh, I was born in uh, Orlando. Um, I'm from the east side of Orlando. I grew up on the east side of Orlando and uh, graduated from Kelowna High School. Um, I have two sisters and a brother. I have two, t- two half sisters, um, a full blood brother, uh, same parents, uh, both my parents my mom was a school teacher and my dad was a meat cutter over at Publix. But um, yeah, I grew up from, went to Clona High School, graduated, joined the Army. When I joined the Army, went to uh, basic training at uh, Fort Benning, Georgia, then went over to medic school over at Fort Sam Houston. 
ended up going over to Germany and spent two years there working as an infantry medic, working as a uh, uh, taught taught medic school um, in a uh, city called Würzburg. Uh, that's where I met my wife. Uh, she and I've been together since 2002, um, dating for a few years, and then we then we got married in 2006. I was a flight medic out in California. That was my PCS station after I left Germany. I went to California and ended up going to, um, you know, being out there for a couple of years. I got promoted to sergeant while I was out there. And then uh, I went into the selection process. I had I had uh, different aspirations. I wanted to do something uh, with the special forces. So I ended up going to uh, selection with the Green Beret. Uh, it was a four-week course at the time back in 2004. I ended up failing out on the third week. Um, tough, tough course. A lot of guys don't make it their first time. I ended up failing out, like I said. Uh, made a made a statement or made a commitment that um, if I didn't, I was going to get out. That I was I was scheduled to get out of the army that year. So I told myself I would get out. I was in the hiring process with Orange County Fire in 2004. Told myself if I made it there, I would stay a fireman. If I didn't get picked up in two years, I would end up going. Uh, back into the army and tried to the Green Beret again. I ended up coming out, uh, not getting picked up in 2004, but ended up getting hired on with Discovery Covis, a security guard in Health Central. I worked at UCF as a medic uh, during that time. Um, and then after that, you know, uh, I spent two years working at Health Central. Then uh, as a medic, ended up getting out of the uh, getting out of the Health Central, getting picked up with Orange County in 2007. And um, I don't know if that's where you want to keep me going. But, yeah, no, perfect. Yeah. Beautiful. So going back a little bit, when you were school age, because sure. obviously you ended up being a, a good athlete in the military space, good athlete in the fire service, and even now looking at you guys still at your battalion chief yeah. level, still in good shape. So what sports were you playing and what was your kind of fitness mindset back then? I mean, I played everything. Uh, my the, the one sport I've played my entire life since I was five is a uh, soccer I coach my boys now playing soccer, so it's something that I've been doing nonstop since I was five years old. But I was really good in all type of sports. I played basketball. I played football in high school. I played football at the Orlando Guardians when I got into uh, the fire department. Um, I've done volleyball. I've done all kinds of different sports. So I mean, it's um, I've taken taekwondo and and, and stuff like that. I've boxed um, later on in life. So I've always done some sort of sports, but the main things that I've done is, is soccer, basketball, and football. I ran some track as well, but those are the main sports. Beautiful. And you mentioned about, um, Greenberry selection. What element was it that you fell short on? I mean, I know mentally and physically it's a, it's a, a crucible. Sure. Um, believe it or not, that wasn't what, what got me. I was, uh, the land, land navigation is what got me. And uh, ironically, is um, I have an expert medic field badge, uh, expert field medical badge. Uh, it's one of the most prestigious badges in the Army uh, as far as the medic side goes. It's uh, equivalent to the expert infantry badge. I ended up earning that in 2001, 2002, somewhere in there. And part of that course is a land navigation course. So you do a, a day and nighttime land navigation course. And you, you essentially got to find points um, anywhere from two to three kilometers apart to uh, three to four kilometers apart. <clears throat> and I had no issue with that. Uh, when I went to uh, SFAS uh, selection uh, with the Green Berets, I ended up failing on land nav. It was a cold 
February up in New- North Carolina. And my first point is a tw- you get 20 at the time, it was a 24 hour period that you had to find, I think it was five points uh, in that 24 hour period. And during that, that 24 hour period, they drop you off at a certain location. And my starting point was at one or two o'clock in the morning, they dropped you off. And my first point, they dropped me up on the one side of a lake and it wasn't a big lake, you know, probably something like Lake Conway. It wasn't a lake like that. It was more like a pond, you know, a small pond, but I was able to, to get across it, you know, by just swimming across Looking back, I probably should have gone around it. I think I could have, but when you're in the middle of the night, you you, you really you you're just disoriented. So uh, I said, you know what, my point is right there. I could see where I needed to go. So I crossed I crossed the little pond, and uh, ended up losing my map. And um, it was in my my BDU pocket. Ended up losing my map in the pond. I changed when I got out because it was cold. So I changed real quick, and then. I ended up sitting on the ground. I remember sitting on the ground. I built a campfire real quick because I was like looking for my map. I couldn't figure it out. Anyways, a cadre had uh, come by and had, hey, what are you doing, man? And uh, had given me a new map. And so it lucked out, but I'd already wasted probably like four four hours, you know. So I was already behind um, behind the curb. Uh, I ended up just not, you know, missing missing my points. I think I got to point number two, and I just ran out of time. So we ended up, you know, I ended up failing out. I probably could have gone back um, a second try, uh, but at that time in my career in the army, it was make the Green Beret course and first go, or get out and start with the fire department because I was in the hiring process at the same time. I had flown back here. I was living in California, and I was I flown flew back here to Orange County. Uh, and took both their written and their B-pad. And uh, at the time, it was called the PAT. It wasn't the IPAT or the CAP or the CPAT. It was the PAT at the time. It's a little bit different. Beautiful. We're just touching on being a medic in the military. I know that, you know, there, there are some pretty interesting recruitment stories and MOSs are a little... Uh, fuzzy so tell me about what you almost became in the military so we talked about this right before we started uh so i got picked up i was 18 years old i was 17 18 years old when i was in the delayed entry program um and i wanted to be a fireman i wanted to be a fireman since i was a young boy and i talked to the army recruiter it was it was either army or navy and the only reason i went with army is because uh, they had that guy had called me back and given me an army shirt i mean that's really what it came down to it so i went into the army uh, i am third generation army but um uh, i ended up getting a t-shirt and go go lo and behold that's what i do now is you know we grab t-shirts all the time so i think it's a thing but we ended up um i ended up getting told yeah, you could be a fire firefighter. And I was like, sweet, I could be a firefighter in the army. So I go down to MEPS. I'm scheduled to be a fireman. And as I'm, you know, raising my right hand and saying, yes, I'm going to be a fireman for the army. They say, hey, like, guess what? We actually don't have that job anymore. So what we're going to do is we're going to do something that's pretty similar to what you do. It's called a healthcare specialist or in other words, a combat medic. And so I was like, okay, you know, that kind of goes hand and head together. So I ended up doing the combat medic thing, the health healthcare specialist. And uh, right before I left, they they tried to talk me into they needed they needed cooks, and I forget what the the term is, the MOS that they call it, what the cook is, but it's it was like a dining facility specialist, you know, something like that. 
And, um, I was like, absolutely not. I'll, I'll go home right now. I don't, I don't, I don't want to be a cook. Um, so, you know, that was, that was where I was. I, like I said, I went to Fort Sam Houston, went to medical school there, uh, came out, went to, went to Germany. Brilliant. So what was your first year in Orange County? First year was 2007. I went through the non-cert program. I just left Health Central in in April. I had stayed with Health Central in April, sent till April. And uh, uh, we went through the non-cert program. That was a that was a good, fun time. Um, uh, heat of the summer, going through standards. Um, I came in as a medic, so I didn't have to start. Most of my class started in EMT school back in February. And then there was seven of us, I think, that came in April that joined the class. Two of us had been, were uh, set, were medics at the time. Beautiful. Yeah. So you were right before me. I was 08. 08. Hard. And mm-hmm. you after that, is that right? No, Chase? I was, I was, I was uh, 2005 and then I'd stayed there for almost uh, two years and then I left to go to Iraq. That's what it was. And I came back. Yeah. yeah. Cause I remember people saying, oh, there's this ex, you know, pro footballer. He's coming back. And I was like, who's that? And then this big shadow came in the room and I'm like, well, I guess that's him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't plan on coming back, but I came back. So <laughs> you came back in 2007? Uh, 2009. 2009. I left in 2007. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Then yeah. I came back at the end of 2009. Okay. And that was to do the contract firefighter in the Middle East. Yeah, to be a contract firefighter, yes. I did. I, I remember when uh, you came back because I remember people talking about it. You and it was a couple of Lou Rod, I Lou think. Lou Rod, yeah. Lou yeah, Rod, Lou yeah. Rod came back. Yeah, yep. And then Tremonte Flowers, too. He came back. Okay. Too, yeah. Uh, he's doing well in, in uh, Popka. Popka, yeah. Yep. He tried yep. to come back to Orange County. Yeah, actually, I saw yeah. him. I saw him. He, he and I talk once in a while. So to talk to me then about the your entry into the fire service because when i was going through it was before jamal took over and you know the training became really really good i think it was like a three-way three-week onboard class the instructor we had a great cadre we had haskett and, and some other guys and willis and they wanted to beat us up they wanted to set that bar high but you could tell their hands were tied like we had dudes in our class that couldn't even do push-ups dude that pretended that he hurt his his shoulder until the very last day where he miraculously healed um and everyone went through you know and even like the i'll never forget this we did an evolution where we took a cross lay off the rig advanced it to that old wooden shed that was by the fit pit um where the loading dock is and then broke a wooden trellis with the pike pole and then pretended that we were flowing water into that shed and that was our that, that was, was your our, training that scenario. Was our firefighting training scenario. Yeah, I have to say that my <laughs> training was actually probably better than most. My class was pretty fortunate. Class forty five. We were pretty fortunate because when we came on, the seven of us that that were coming on with the new the the older group, the the group that was in uh, for EMT school, we ended up helping with the UCF burns were that year, and so the UCF burns. So we set all that up. We 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 got all the hay and we got to participate. Now we didn't go in. Uh, we weren't certified firefighters yet, but we got to participate with and see how everything was running. So we cleaned a lot of those those fraternity homes out. Um, you know, gutting them and uh, adding all the hay and getting those ready for the burns. So that was really good uh, for us, for the seven of us, because we ended up seeing what the training department does. And, you know, that's what you were like, oh, this is going to be great. We're going to have this kind of training all the time. They're giving us buildings. UCF was giving us buildings. And then we went through uh, standards and then we came out to orientation. And if you guys remember International Drive, they called it the Mercado buildings. 
It was like a shopping center down on International. I, I want to say is where the Orlando Eye sits now. It I used to be that. some shop a, a shopping plaza. So they donated that to Orange County during my orientation class over the summer. And another great opportunity for my class. Um, others didn't have this. This uh, weren't as fortunate. But all the storefront windows, we were able, we were just learning about this in fire standards is where you're supposed to put the pike pole, where you're supposed to place your hands, how you're supposed to strike a um, um, uh, glass plate window versus um, the tempered Tempered grass, grass, tempered tempered glass. And then we also had the opportunity. I I, I always, I always uh, bust their balls a little bit. Um, Feral. And Donnie Kranz, Tom Farrell and Donnie Kranz, because those were my two instructors, two of my instructors during the Mercado. So they they gave me the experience on how to open doors and go through walls because we were doing that down in Mercado. We were uh, forcing walls and going through the drywall, the studs. We were able to do searches and smoke up these rooms, these these uh, storefront properties and go underneath stairwells and stuff like that. We were taking out the front store windows and getting that experience. We were taking the outward swinging doors on a commercial structure and we were pulling pulling the pens. We were taking our Halligan, the forks and just rip, ripping them out. We had all that. So it was a really good experience for me. So I, I, I might have a different experience than others. So when I came into the fire service, I thought, man, these are the kind of things that we get to do. You know, this is what I've been wanting to do. I get to go into burning buildings. You know, it's not just a burn building, but actual burning buildings. Cause that's what I saw. You know, I saw the guys, um, come out to UCF and they'd light it and then they'd go in and they would put it out and then not enough water because we didn't want to, you know, we had to set for the next next guy, the next crew. Um, And then again, the Mercado. So I'm thinking this is what we see and do on a regular basis. So that was my experience. And then you you mentioned Tony Willis. Tony Willis was one of our uh, PT. He was in charge. uh, So he always came in in the morning uh, and we always ran a really strong PT so we were a really motivated group of uh, guys, and, and we had one gal in the class, uh, but we were real motivated. So we always ran, you know, around. We ran to Station 51, do push-ups in the parking lot. We'd run back to Mid Florida. Uh, we'd run down to John Young or John Young, and then up John Young to Americana, and then go all the way around Americana, and then come back down to Rio Grande. So I mean, it was we had yeah, we had a bit intense. a really good experience at, at training. So. That was a little different than mine. I did, yeah. uh, Tony did some good PT. He did. Yeah, he did. He did. Yeah, he but, did. Um, but, you know, the other side, sadly, things have been said. You know, they were, they were shackled. They're, I know they were all great instructors because I've worked with them since. But, yeah, very, very – after Hialeah, which was literally like three months of smoke divers, basically, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> to go into yeah. Orange County. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. yeah it's but, really uh, and that was after Anaheim, too. Anyway, so I want to move over firstly to the incredible wellness – um, kind of area that we did have at the county. So I've talked, you know, fondly about the 343, the Fitbit. I mean, you know, you guys have been on, you and Dave have had Bull on. Um, so, you know, there's a whole, I think Rick Segrist has been on as well. So we all the kind of OGs from that have been on the show talking about how, you know, that that began. So through your eyes, talk to me about what that wellness looked like when you first came on. And then, you know, the growth of the Fitbit and the 343. 
Right. Yeah. The, when, when I first came on, just like, just like Chief said, it was, uh, it was Tony Willis was been charged and then he had Chief Segrist, you know, as charter safety wanted as well. And, uh, it was really kind of the FIP. It was kind of a small area. It was probably some cardio machines and like one or two multi, multi functional gym equipment was off on the side. And we were still doing like extrication inside of the fit pit where we do, where we have our mats and, and stuff like that. And then it was basically, we were just had like odds and ends stuff and we were, we were out there either most either outside doing fitness or inside, but we did have a structure there. And then that's when the whole peer fitness trainer for the IFFF started com- coming along in Orange County was part of the original, um, fire departments in Florida to start that program. So they started being proud with that. And then as time went on, it just started building. We just started taking over the whole inside of the training center to where we had uh, anywhere from a CrossFit to firefighter functional fitness equipment to strength training equipment. And then we actually started getting more involved in the peer fitness training and going out to the stations and doing stuff and stuff like that with doing like uh, organized workouts, um, really getting into actually training firefighters the way they should have been trained and uh actually um and it started getting taken notice to where we started the fitness collaborative and in the state of florida getting other fire departments involved with that uh lieutenant willis and she Segris kind of spearheaded that as well and then we're getting other fire departments in there to where it got so big and so well known and and a good good program to where even firehouse magazine came down there and did a special on the Fitbit as well, um, about how we, you know, how we turned a fitness, fitness program for basically to nothing to this big thing. And now all the fire departments from all over the nation was coming to the Fitbit for one or two days and trying to, um, mi- mimic what we had because our, pro- our program was so successful. So, and then, uh, and then Chief Seeger said, uh, in the first year, he's, we saved, I think, a couple million dollars in, um, and a workers' comp issue. So that right there, that's how he sold it. And that's how he was able to, to build the program even more. You know, what's crazy is I was doing uh, ALS competitions with the EMS team and we were traveling all over the state on these competitions. And I was down in Miami once uh, at a competition and I could tell you that those guys down there were talking so highly of the fit pit and what you guys were doing because you were involved as well. You know, um, they were talking about the 343 and how our gym was one of the best that they've ever seen. And this was down in Miami. I mean, you think that they've got all this, you know, you got, you guys have got an excellent program. Now that was a few years ago. I think that was probably about, you know, 2018, 17, somewhere in there. So it was a few years ago, but yeah, just a, just yeah, a, Oh yeah. It was, to, it was, it was well known. And then, <laughs> you know, then we, you know, we had, we had, you know, anywhere from Broward, we had, yeah. um, now, now Marion County, which Marion County came in and, uh, brought their commissioners and their mayor down to the Fit Pit. And they saw, and they were like, they were taken back. Oh man, we need got to do something like that. They saw the mentoring program that we started. I mean, we, we have some really good programs and it's, it's, it's unfortunate with what's going on currently. But I mean, our department is recognized not all over the state, but all over the country. And it's stuff like this and stuff like that you're going to, we're going to talk about here in a minute, but. It's it's crazy. Yeah, I, to me, I thought, and that's one of the reasons why it sold me on uh, when Orange County is when I met Chief Plogger and he said how he was into fitness and he was trying to build this this fit, fitness initiative with the firefighters and how he's you know it's kind of lacking. He feels that that's main key to the to the fire department. And uh, I told him about my fitness background and you know he, he that's pretty much he sold a deal for me and and uh, he he said he was going to hire me first first person he would hire he was going to hire me which which was the truth. So he t- he backed up his word. So. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that. So you have Chief Plogger, who was the chief when I got hired. It was funny. And in my hiring interview, um, he asked, he mentioned Telestaff. And I told him, well, that's actually invented by one of my Anaheim captains. 
And that was my whole orientation of my interview to get hired was discussing telestaff with him. <laughs> but um, aside from that, so he was a visionary when it came to the wellness. And then we had Chief Droz after that. So walk me through an empty, you know, uh, commercial space that is used just for searches and extrication. What that looks like with those two administrations with the support to what was created, you know, a few years ago. Yeah, so it was it was it was empty, uh, hardly anything, and then uh, Chief Seegers came in there, Lieutenant Willis came in there, and they just started taking over, you know, little little by little as they started uh, realizing how important it was for for the safety and wellness program to, to to take hold. And then same thing with um with they were getting like I said earlier with the workers' comp, how it started, you know, doing doing only down, doing so it started getting fire loss in, involved in it. Um, they tried different things here and there, and sometimes they said no, sometimes they didn't. They tried doing a little bit of uh uh boxing uh boxing mats and then having the the heavy bags in there and then someone came in there and didn't know how to punch and you know two people hurt their wrists and then bam that's it that got that, that got taken away so it's a little unfortunate. bit yeah, it was a little bit <laughs> so it, what was it, it like boxing yeah, you, we know, loved it. you know just because two guys do i can it. tell you i've been trying to get you know boxing equipment in, in the gym or in the the stations for for a long time had a speed bag at 73 had a heavy bag there you know yeah you know, that's unfortunate because that's the game that we had to play like yeah. you can't have it because people like look if you're gonna hit this bag Hit it with some punching gloves. Yeah, and not, and they weren't there, and they're getting hurt, and that's what that's yeah. what, they, and then that's what he said. It was kind of like a, a, a trial and error things. They would try something, they get taken away. Try something, get taken away. Same thing. Uh, Chief Seegers told me about about the uh, fit truck that we have, which we were one of the only farmers have that. How a bunch of a fight was with that, I guess, because Chief Blogger didn't want to spend a lot of money on certain things. He goes, he walked in there and and laid down uh, offer that he couldn't free, refuse because Plogger was like, why do I need a fit truck when I got a, when I, I got a fit pit? And he's like, oh, we got to go here. And now you're saying, you know, to do fit evals, units got to come and uh, they got to go out of their first dude. They got to spend gas. And then, so he worked, Chief Seagrass was so adamant about getting this truck. He worked out all these numbers to where uh, he made them go there and say, okay, look, by this gas, by you taking this time out, by this, it's, it's going to pay for this truck within a couple months. And then Chief Logger said, well, you made me an offer. I can't confuse. Let's get him a fit truck, you know? And so then tell, that, tell people, listen, just to interject what the fit truck was. Because I did the test. Yeah, know, so the, the, the fit truck, we call it, came in kind of like the bread truck. It kind of looks like an old yeah. bread truck that you, yep, that you bread. store bread in there. And uh, in there, you we have a treadmill. Uh, we have um, the different pieces of equipment. We have like a body composition in there. We have any anything to do to do the uh, fit evals that we were doing, which is push-ups and then strength, strength training and everything like that. So we travel to the to the station we'll load it up with, with fitness equipment and then we either do a workout there or we'll do the fitty valves to, and we'll go to each station uh around there so we are able to hit the whole fire department within seven eight months and that was that. every year we got tested that was every, every other year yeah every other year yeah every other so year. i remember there was grip test there was the deadlift the deadlift strength test, trips, strength yeah. test so yeah. it was an all over and fitness. then what was good is that we we kept everybody's results from the time they started all at the whole career so people were, would get excited they go okay well maybe i did this many push-ups this year and then two years later i'm doing this my body composition was this I either got better or I got worse so it kind of gave them uh, a gauge of where they at or if they improved or if they, they didn't improve and some of the guys were so competitive you know they wanted to yeah, beat yeah I've been wanting to get my results yes, for the see? last year how long now has it been I yeah, mean, and now, now we don't have it you yeah. know it's been three years the last four years year it was 230 it. I'm at 204 today so yeah. I mean you see, know now, I'd yeah. like to see what my uh, composition my body composition is and you know and where I, my strength and I was is the same, I was the same too when I yeah. first came in the fire department I was coming from football so I was 290 pounds yeah. you know and then I went now that I got, I got leaner I was able to see that I'm able to perform but more you know leaner than I was heavier so that's what these guys got which yeah. was great a lot of farmers didn't have that so 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 we had 
you know the, the the facility to go to the fit pit which also ended up housing a lot of the the fundraising events mm-hmm. that we did especially yeah, when we had firefighters that were sick the three four three yeah and then, then we started doing the carriagiano workouts you know we started doing all the you know the tribute workouts for the fallen firefighters and stuff like that it was it's just an overall great thing and then also we had it open to where any firefighter in the state of florida can come work out there if they're on vacation if they want to check it out all they had to do was sign a waiver and then work out and we were open it to military and we had the police o- police officers so police officers would come in there and they would train with the firefighters you know and you'd talk a little trash here and there but it was all it was just a great environment because you could come in there and take a step away and work on you know on your fitness and also you can do work related fitness you know which a lot of gyms didn't how you can go in there you can put your gear on you could do you can do air consumption drills and you could just be around like-minded people and it, i think it helped out not only with fitness but also helped out them on the mental side as well and we had the fire chiefs working out there too yeah the fire chiefs working out there as well Leading yeah i mean yeah, g davis come in there work out do his ipad and then everyone's like oh well, we got a chief in there you know kicking butt you know and then when i get fired up and they keep doing you know stuff like that and then 343 i remember i remember him he, he destroyed the 343 at station 80 the last time that you did it uh Me? You did, yeah i remember you did one with other chiefs down there no you are oh, you talking about the honor challenge honor challenge that's honor challenge yeah and yeah. everybody was so, so impressed but it, you know that stuff like that is like just a good morale booster and it's just a oh, you know overall you know good thing to to want to be still good at your job so well, well speaking of morale and camaraderie i've said this many many years <clears> the, the picture on on the the back of my book is a picture of me at the 343 with all the names on the back. back, yep. Um, and I, when I tell people, you want to see what brother and sisterhood looks in the fire service, go to the Hero Challenge, yep. 343 Hero Challenge. So when I first went, I, I've told this story before, but I had six names on my back of for responders that we'd lost that I knew personally or were immediately in our, you know, our departments. And I think it was four years later, so the fifth one that I did, there were 33 names on my back of people that we'd lost. And that's the picture on on the back of the book. In what um, all over the state or no, no. Either I knew them at Hialeah, Anaheim, gotcha. Orange County, or Reedy Creek, where right. I actually worked, or Deborah Clayton. Some of those guys mm-hmm. that we lost, Brandon Coates, that were we right. worked alongside. Um, you know, and there was obviously, I mean, there was Jim Dormany and, and just so many people, but they were all people I knew or I worked with, either like physically directly or you know we were brother sisters in in the same departments. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about the 343 through your eyes, kind of how that was built up. Because, I mean, you know, that that was one of the most heartbreaking things. Right. Yeah, the, knowing the, the, it wasn't yeah, the 343 ahead. actually started, you know, that's just when our fitness, our uh, Fitbit and our safety one was kind of like on the top of the game. Um, and then we decided we were going to do something to, to honor the 343 firefighters that died in 9-11. And, uh, we always started from, from the very first competition. It was, you know, start off with dispatch from that day of the units getting dispatched, uh, units responding, uh, just to get everybody in the mindset of why we're, why we're doing this. And it was kind of a big summer. Even before that, um, we'd had the fire chief come down there. He'd do a tribute. And then we'd have the ring of the bells with the honor guard. We'd have the huge flag with the trucks. It was just a, whole a big symbolic thing and it was just a great uh, event and we raised money for for united way as well by doing that um but then it starts with a dispatch and then it we it involves the citizens as well so it's not only firefighters working out it's also citizens that want to come down there and they want to be a part of it they want to see what firefighting is all about they want to see what it was on th- on 343 so th- you got you know you got firefighters and you got citizens wor- working together and then it starts off with the uh, three minutes and 43 seconds of how many step-ups you're going to do with your bunker jacket and your um air pack on as well and then we would give 
people who weren't firefighters, air packs and bunker gear, they can lend out. And uh, right from there, you start, you realize, oh, shoot, you know, this is what it's all about. And and then it kind of punches you in the mouth. Like, you know, the workouts were so tough to oh. where you could barely finish. <laughs> you barely finish them. I and I'm sore for like two or three days afterwards. But when you're done, it's just the overall, the overall feeling and just the sense of appreciation, you know, for the fire service and for those guys. It, it, it there was nothing like it, and it was just a great overall event. People looked forward to it every year. We had people coming from all the way from Miami, from Jacksonville, you know, to come compete down mm. at that event. And you had the honorees like the one, one that survived the Boston bombing. I think. Yeah, the Boston, Boston bombing, and then we, yeah, and then we had another a kid that we we honored as well who um who chose to um. Uh, not amputate his legs, you know, for his, for the cancer, for the cancer. And then he, he came in there. He was an honoree. So we had a bunch of, you know, nice on good honorees and stuff. So yeah. I mean, it was such, such a beautiful event. People, you know, side by side, all colors and creeds, just doing it for, for one thing to honor the fallen and to raise money to actually use their memory and do something good with it. So let's go back to about two years ago then. So we have in Orange County, an amazing wellness program. An amazing facility that anyone, as you said, from the state of Florida can go, but certainly our own people can go and work out anytime. There's trainers on staff. There's equipment from, you know, like barbells and CrossFit stuff through the fire sled and the Punisher and all those things. Um, and we had the 343 every year. Now, of course, the pandemic hit. There's an element of it. But as we sit here now, everything we just spoke of is no more it's gone gone away completely so talk to me about the deconstruction of that and then we'll obviously we'll get to the vaccines right. and, and right the as, mandates as, and as soon as the pandemic hit you know okay we had we everyone you know was nervous and they wanted to be you know cautious they wanted to have you know they didn't know what they were expecting they didn't know what to expect so they did they shut everything all the programs down all essential training all essential you know the safety wellness the fit pit um they pretty much said it's finished all, all the programs and uh you know that just like you know chief was part of the ems you know team that traveled over the state they shut, shut that down they just shut down everything and that's okay you know for the first couple of months but then as as you know chief will tell you the morale of the fire department started going by and then you start seeing um firefighters from just sitting around the station because we weren't running that many calls because people didn't want to call us because they were scared of, uh, scared of covid and they were sitting around eating going home not doing anything um Myself and Lieutenant Willis, after Chief Seegers uh, retired, you know, started saying, "Hey, you know, maybe we need to have we need to have the wellness open. We need to have the, all the gyms were closed down. There was nowhere for firefighters to, to exercise. And then also uh, that brings back the mental aspect. They need some type of some type of stimulation to keep going. And um, we brought to plans that said, "Hey, you know, I'm on down down there. I can make sure that everyone wears masks. I can make sure that everyone social distance. I can make sure all the equipment's wiped down. Um, why don't we open the Fitbit just for fire fire personnel only?" So so that they can, you know, work out and they can uh, continue decompress. to be good. At, yeah, decompress. Exactly. Decompress. <laughs> decompress. And you need to be physically fit to do your job. Yeah. You know, you don't can't you can't. And, you know, we already had firefighters that were on the edge of being fit anyways. So they needed it the most. And they kept get, they kept denying me. They kept denying me. And uh, they weren't giving me anything. So they were keeping me at headquarters. And then they tried to me to do um, online workout classes so they can do at home, which I was doing myself. So I was going there and I was I was developing programs. And I was trying to push it out through social media and through the through the fire net um, workouts that you can do at home. But you can only do so much at home. And it wasn't giving any of the, the camaraderie. It wasn't getting any of the fixings for the firefighters. So then they just sh- shut it down completely and let nothing and, and let them nobody work out so which is a shame and here we're in the same position a year and a half later 
Yeah, I'm gonna say same, same as a year and a half later. I said I, I'm not, and now the the one person and the one uh, position that was everybody would thought was awesome across the state was that I was down there specifically on TDY. Uh, I have all the certifications, have all the training. Um, I was down there to make sure that I trained all the firefighters the right way, the right way to, to be trained. I was there to write programs they needed. It. I was there to write diet and health plans for for what they needed. Um, I was there to train people when they coming back from injury, making sure that they're fit to to come back to. Duty. Uh, I had all that going on, and then all Orange of a sudden, County's personal trainer, yeah, Orange a, County per- personal trainer. a personal trainer, yeah, yep. And then, Wild. and then it was, then it was, oh well, Fitbit's been closed down. You, you know, we we don't need you, and uh, see you later. So, so right now, can people go to the Fitbit and train? Uh, they can go to Fitbit and train, but they have to sign up an hour in, in advance, and then really they cannot train that much because now training now since I've been gone is taking it over, and they're doing all kinds of training and. And rookie, rookie training down there to where uh, pe- people don't even go down there and work out hardly at all anymore. So. What about the fit truck? Uh, fit truck has been sitting there probably collecting dust for about a, a year now. What about the 343 Hero Challenge? 343 has been canceled t- two years in a row. We actually had Fun Spot, which is a huge amusement park area here, um, offered to give us give us their whole park to do the 343 if we couldn't do it in the Fit Pit. And we went down there. We scoped everything out. They said that we can have the park three hours before uh, they opened up. We could have used their, their racetrack. We could have used their, we were going to use, they have a little bumper boats. We we're going to use their little pond to jump in. We we're going to do all kinds of different fun, exciting workouts. We weren't able to do the Fitbit and they wanted to do that to honor the 343. And the counties turned that down as well, saying that, uh, cause of COVID and they don't want to sponsor anything that gets, that's going to big, get a big group of people there. But this is when COVID started flat, flatlining in the first place. And then they turned it down. And then actually, Two months before they're supposed to have this this year, the 9-11, they said, oh, here, you guys can have a parking lot uh, at, at the convention center to do the 343. Th- th- do that because we need United Way money. And uh, that's basically what it was for. <laughs> so I'm just going to, you know, be an observation list of what's happened so far. And this mirrors and parallels exactly what I've seen this last 18 months. There are people, you, Steve, me, you know, Rick, all these people out there that are in the wellness space that right at the beginning have been saying, if we're talking about health, we need to talk about fitness and nutrition and sleep and mindful practice and vitamin D from sunlight and being around nature and community. That's how we're going to make people less vulnerable to this disease. What I have seen nationally is gyms being closed, fast food places being open people just told to stay inside don't go outside don't touch anyone and so to me that's not about health it's not about health because if we're talking about health then fitness facilities would still be open community would still be encouraged you can do an amazing amount of things out in a park without touching each other and licking parks each other. here in orange county were closed yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> beaches were closed yeah yeah because covid has got an incredible ability to fly up wind and into your mouth right so, I mean, it was just, there was so much insanity. So when I hear people talking about vaccines, for example, and we'll get to that. And as I say, every time I myself have been vaccinated because I'm lucky enough with this program to, to know some really intelligent people who I picked their brains, made decisions so I could go see my 104 year old grandmother. I didn't take it because I thought I was worried about myself. Of course, I don't want to spread anything, but that doesn't seem to be, you know, a, a kind of like, black and white solution to spreading it either so but um but just kind of underlying that thing first so when it comes to the department wellness hasn't really been put at the forefront if every 
fitness and wellness initiative has been shut down for the last year and a half? It's pretty much gone to the, the back of the line, pretty okay. much. All right. So, and then, that, and then there comes me- mental health now, and we'll tie, you know, Chief, Chief's story into the mental health side of it. Um, with the fitness side being back of the line, it seems like the mental health has been put to back of the line as well. So, really, yeah, and, and I've seen that. I've seen a ripple effect. I, I myself went through a low spot a few weeks ago. I did a video about it, where I, I was in such burnout that I basically shit myself. I couldn't make it to a toilet, and I'm like, "This doesn't normally happen." I'm 47 years old with a great sphincter. What's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> and it was just an emotional, poof. and you know, for me, I've been you know trying to bring good information and and tell stories we need to be told, like Eric Siena, for example. Yeah. You know, I mean, that was just heartbreaking. We buried him a few weeks ago. Um, so, uh, the, with the mental health thing, I'm seeing a ripple effect. I'm seeing the, as we come out of it, a lot of people going through a lot of dark things. Mm-hmm. What is not helping in any way, shape or forms are the men and women that are out on the front line that are now being told that they're going to be fired or have been fired if they don't comply. Now I'll preface this, like I said, as a vaccinated guy, what I have observed is an epic failure in leadership. Because there are countries all over the world that have done this really well. They trust their leaders. They've been well-educated. It hasn't been politicized. And you'll see a very large percentage of the population is vaccinated. What I've seen here is right off the bat from the right and the left, both of them equally to blame, is this has turned into an absolute political nightmare. And the average person in the middle of the road is left wondering what the hell is going on. There's distrust, therefore, a lot of people that probably would have got vaccinated didn't. Now these mandates are happening. Now a lot of people that would get vaccinated aren't because you're being told like a terrible parent with a petulant child in Walmart, just do as I say. So I'm going to put it over to you, Steve. Now walk me through this mandate journey to where you are sitting right now. Well, I mean, you you touched on the, um, the stress of it all. And that's really what it comes down to. I mean, you go back from when this all started, uh, two weeks to flatten the curve. I can tell you that from my own perspective, it was maybe a little, a little frightening. And I think at the beginning, it was frightening for all. I can remember when my wife and I returned from Germany um, in 2020, January 2020, uh, she was showing me video of stuff that was happening in, in China. And she was like, look at all this. And I was like, ah, whatever. This was the whole, the videos that we've seen. And she was watching it, I think late January, early February, somewhere in there. <clears throat> and I was like, oh, you know what? That's never going to happen here. This is the United States. Wow. Was I wrong? So anyways, we, we fast forward to March and all right, I'll, I'll, I'll do as you say, I'll go home. I, I, I didn't work overtime. I came home here. I, I pulled the kids out of school. Well, they were they were pulled out of school. I mean, we didn't pull them. They were they were, they were kicked out essentially. Um, not able to see your your uh, your kids graduate. You know that I can't imagine what a what a parent with a senior or a parent that a, a child that's in high school and not being able to go to prom or walk walk the uh, uh, the line to to get their diploma. But we all did it. Okay, we all we all have done it. And I think it got to a point where everyone's like today, you know, now we're in October of 2021 and it is, it is like, we're done, you know, but we're going to the mandates and all this whole entire time we reduced, 
we reduced our our trucks going to calls we um we put on a ton of equipment we used these aeroclaves to clean things i mean everybody was doing their part being very diligent with doing their part responding to calls working these calls uh making sure we had all that stuff together we fast forward another year where we fast forward this to this year and now it's about the vaccination and there's a lot of questions behind that. I mean, we can we could talk about why it is good, why it is bad, you know, uh, why I agree with it, why I don't agree with it. Um, we could go with that direction. But I think the biggest thing is like our mandates um, after this long process, this long year of being cooped up in your house. And Florida is a little bit easy, a little bit better because we've had a little bit more freedom down here. But I can't imagine some of the states up in the north uh, that have been cooped up and people are still. Um, from what I understand, locked in their homes, you know, but the, just the mental, the mental stress that that puts on people and all of us, uh, I've seen it, uh, this year alone, we've lost four firefighters in Orange County to suicide. Uh, yes, two of them were retirees, but they still part of our Orange County Brotherhood. And that's irrelevant. They're firefighters. They They're firefighters. firefighters. They're the, They're whole career, the whole they, career they, they donated to this, not, you know, gave their life the, to this career. The two younger guys, I didn't know that well. Mike Bonner, he was one of he was one of my instructors when I was a recruit. Um, my, Moody well. was one of the guys he I re, he relieved me in the morning at the station um, when I was first on. Um, I didn't know the one guy the the um, what's his name? Uh, I knew Etienne. Etienne was yeah, at the station. Etienne, yeah, I would yeah. say hello to him every morning. I didn't know the other guy. Yeah, the other guy was at 30, 34. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know him. He was he was the only one I didn't on. know. But we lost four of our brothers. And then um, uh, Eric died, you know. And so, I mean, we're going through that kind of stuff right there. And Eric Eric and I were really close. You know, we've got, we got all kinds of uh, pictures together. And, um, you know, Eric used to come into my room at uh at 41 i used to have a i had a recline have a recliner in the bunk room and this guy would would pick my lock come in at like six i wouldn't get up you know till you know about six fifteen six twenty somewhere in there to get ready for you know hiring or whatever i needed to do that morning but he'd pick my lock around six in the morning and he'd come in there he'd kick back in my recliner because he he was coming in and and uh dave was still asleep so he would kick back and wake me up for whatever reason and he would sit back with his little white mocha sitting in in my recliner and then he'd finally just start slapping me hey you ever gonna wake up and i'm like are you <laughs> i'm like dude what are you doing man and i mean that's what he would do almost every morning and this is this is eric sienna uh just waking me up being being him you know, and we would have we'd have long talks, but I mean, to lose a, a friend like him, you know, we've all we, that's that's just adds to the stress. Chief was actually there when he had his first episode at the station. Actually. Oh, really? Actually, yeah, actually, that actually realized what too. was going on. So. And a seizure. He had a seizure. Yeah, yeah. Eric was. Um, we were having. Uh, I remember it was chicken broccoli, and he was he had just he had taken some broccoli. He had put it in his mouth and he was chewing on it. And then he had started cutting his piece of chicken, and then he put that in his mouth. And then someone at the other end of the table. Had it's normally where I sit, but I had sat next to Eric that night for some reason. I I have no idea. I used to sit at the end of the uh, the far end of the table, closest to the phone, just because it was next to the phone. It was easier for me to get if someone was calling me. Um, but for that night, I sat to the left of him. He's at the, t- the head of the table, and I sat to the left. And I remember him making this noise, and then 
after one of the one of the guys had made a comment and we thought he was like making a making fun of him you know it's eric being eric you know making a joke and then then i realized whoa he's seasoned i remember just getting up grabbing him putting him on the ground and pulling the chicken he had he had just put in his mouth you know pulling it out of his mouth and he started turning blue and um those are the things that we're thinking about those guys at 41 i mean a shift i mean they they stepped up they i mean can you imagine seeing your lieutenant i mean seeing a friend you know just start seizing i mean as first responders we go and see that stuff all the time i mean i've seen people seize all the time my entire career um i can't say i've ever seen a friend seize uh, until that day and it it was it was it was frightening you know as a first responder as as just a person it was frightening and just think of all those added stresses that we've encountered over this time i remember we had this press conference today uh jason and i did and uh, oscar was talking about things that people should never want to see in their lives but we as first responders, we as firefighters, paramedics, we see these things sometimes on a daily basis, sometimes a weekly, sometimes once in a lifetime or once in a career, regardless of what it is, is we do see these things. And it's things that people should never want to see, things that we don't want to, we don't even want to dream about. And those are the added stresses. And then come August here in Orange County, going back to your original question, is another stressor added to each one of these men and women's lives. And I can tell you from my own personal experience, and I can speak, I I could probably speak for 12 fire stations. When I say 12 fire stations, that's A and C shift because I did a lot of overtime on A shift. That's what I typically did. And all my crew on C shift. And I could probably even say that uh, the guys in battalion one, um, even though I wasn't there, I was there actually during the pandemic. So I saw it then too, you know, the stressors that those guys, A and C shift, even B shift, you know, all, all the crews. And then when you do the work back, but in August specifically this year, you have the stressors because now you have a mayor who now wants to say, if you're not going to get this vaccine, we've tried to be nice. We've heard that saying, now that didn't come from the mayor, but it's coming from somebody, but we've tried to be nice. We've said, please get it. We've, we've, we said, hey, you're going to have to get it. And now we're mandating it. And if you don't get it, we're going to terminate your career. Now, me with almost almost 15 years, I've got 14, 14 years, but almost coming up to 15. That's that's unfortunate for myself because I've worked really hard. I kind of talked about it earlier, you know, where my progression in my career has been. But all I've known is being an EMS while I was working at Health Central as a paramedic, while I was in the military as a flight medic, while I was uh, working at UCF. I worked at UCF for a short time as a medic and then here in the fire department, you know, and then all for that to just come to an end because I choose not to get a shot, you know, and I've uh, I've even dedicated all of my education, my AAS degree, my bachelor's degrees in fire science, my master's that I'm going to graduate uh, in a couple of weeks. I've got uh, in disaster emergency management. Those are all focused in on the fire career, on the first response type of uh, field. And to have a mayor just say, if you don't get this, you're done. And that's what he that's what he started with. And he, going around to these fire stations, I would hear every single person's uh, concerns, whether it was a firefighter, whether it was an engineer, whether it was a lieutenant, um, 
even captains, you would have these individuals that would tell you these things and said, yeah, I'm, I'm concerned. I don't know what I'm going to do about my family. I don't want to get this shot. I've got the shot scheduled next week. I don't really want to get it. Uh, people that have gotten the shot who, who, who I've no, I've know who have had uh, injury to it. Uh, we don't talk about those things, but I've seen people that have gotten the shot. They've come in the next day and they've got red marks, the size of a softball, if not bigger on their shoulder where, where they got the shot. Um, I've seen that happen. I've seen where people taking sick calls every morning. Hey chief, I just, um, I just want to let you know I'm calling out sick today. Okay. What's going on? Yeah. I got the shot yesterday. I'm not feeling good at all. And, And I mean, that right there, you know, and, and those were individuals that didn't want to get the shot to begin with. Um, young girls, you know, in our department who have who are concerned about getting the shot and you're not not knowing if if um, they're going to be able to have children later on. You know, that's a concern. I've I've even had people, you know, guys, you know, say, what if I get this shot? You know, I don't have any kids. What if my wife and I want to have kids later on? Are they, there's so many concerns right now and that's just the added stress, but everybody is being forced to go get this. And this was the, uh, the original plan from our orange County mayor to say, Hey, we are going to mandate this or you're going to be terminated. So people were forced to, and to go into the leadership on our, our department side, there's, I'm not even going to say it's rumor because I know it's factual now because I've got several statements showing me that individuals were told to get onto into a van or get in their POVs and drive to a a brand um, new recruits a vaccination site to get vaccinated. These were brand new recruits. I, I just told you earlier that my recruit day was was pretty pretty awesome. I actually had a really good time in, in orientation, really good time in standards. Uh, I had a really gr- good group of people in my class, uh, good leaders. Uh, it gave me the fire service like, man, this is what it's going to be. And then I fast forward into my 14th year and I'm hearing about guys in recruit academy or in the day. orientation and they're being told, go get this vaccination or you're going to be, you you're gonna be terminated. What are they, what are you going to do? You're looking you as a brand new recruit, 21, 22 years old, are looking at me as a chief officer as a uh, or a lieutenant, and they're telling you, you better do this, and this is my dream job. I mean, you heard today, Jason can attest to this, but uh, Oscar was talking about how this was his dream job. Um, how is that even possible that we're, we're forcing these guys only to walk it back a few weeks later? And, and say you, that, oh, I never intended to terminate any firefighters. I just wanted to get the vaccine ratio up. So, so let's talk I mean, about, why, is, talk why are you? That. I'm sorry? Because I don't think people listening understand that. So you're told there's a mandate. Correct. So walk, so walk me through that. Right now, you believe that if I don't get it done, I'm 100% going to get by fired. October, by October 1st, if you did not get your first shot, you were... You know, at first it was September thirtieth. September, September, yeah. September 30th. You did not get your first no, no, shot. No, I think it was September first. Se- September first, yeah. So yeah, September you had to 1st. have it. You had to have it. By- it was August is when he mandated it. Yep. And then he he it was thirty days. We gave yep. you thirty days to get your first shot, uh, or you're terminated. No, and there's no offense. And he goes, I was I'm firm about that. That's it. And he kept saying up to termination. Yep. Up to termination. He was said probably like like five or five or six times. So it was get terminated or you're not gonna you're not you're gonna not gonna have a job. And uh, that put so much stress, like just like Chief was saying, like I got, I was getting phone calls. That's what I got I me mean, so involved because I guess because I, I was safety one, as I did take care of all the firefighters. They knew that I was into fitness and I was into 
you know, keeping people healthy and stuff. I I started getting phone calls when free people started hearing, oh, I, you know, I heard you didn't want to, you might may not want to get the vaccine. I said, for me right now, I, I don't think I feel I need the vaccine. Um, I, the, and I'm, I'm not going to take it. And they're like, well, I don't want to, I really don't want to take it. And then it was, it was, um, oh, and then I, I already had COVID already and I, I didn't barely get sick. The only reason why I knew that I had COVID was because I was getting the shoulder surgery and before I had my surgery, I had to get, I had to get tested and they, they told me I had tested positive and I was like, no way, there's no way. Then I go to the- You haven't even had any symptoms. No symptoms at all. <laughs> zero. Zero yeah. symptoms. And then I go Makes to- Makes you question the test too. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, then, then I said, well, then I did question it. there's no way. So then I went to the central care, got a rapid test. I tested negative. Then I went and got to, I went to the central care again, took another rapid test, tested negative. And then, so I called my doctor back. I was in pain. I was like, I need to get the surgery. I was getting sh- shoulder replacement surgery. And then, uh, so they, I go back to the testing facility and I test positive like, there. So it was back negative, net back positive. So finally they were like, you know what? We're just gonna, we're just gonna do your surgery anyways. They put me in a, uh, I have like a, a face shield on when I was in my surgery, you know, and a mask on in there. Uh, cause the you COVID had shoulder surgery? Thing. Yeah. They don't put you under. Yeah. They put me under. Yeah. Yeah. But I was in like this, like, uh. So they had a mask like, on yeah, you kinda, and you had kinda, an, int- kinda, and you were yeah, intubated. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. <laughs> kind of like a, um, a, hole a level one suit. Uh, kind of like a level one suit. I have a video of it. Yeah. Level one suit. And I'm sitting straight up like this. Did they so. have to cut a hole in the mask and the face shield? Yeah. You see, you see the thing? You see the tube coming out. Yeah. I mean, does this make any sense? You can't, you, you can't, you can't make it up. And he, oh and the doctor God. was cool with doing nothing, but like he said that the testing, the surgery center had to have it like that. So they went and did my surgery anyway. Doesn't make any sense. I'm sorry. But that's what, and then, so I didn't even know. So I, to me, I had COVID. So then they said, you know, limit the symptoms. You know, you still said it's a spread. I don't need, I feel I don't need the, I didn't need the vaccine. And then people started feeling out that I didn't. I started getting phone calls at like late at night, 1130 at night of people crying to me, please, you know, can you help me out? Can you, you know, can you, can you have a, have a voice for us and they'll tell them that we don't want it. Is there anything that you can do? And then I was like, you know, I was like, yeah, I'm going to try to do it. So I started talking to some people, getting, you know, calling some people. And then I was getting another phone calls from other firefighters. I, I, would, I probably got about 10 or 12 phone calls from different firefighters in, in like three or four days. And it was of them distraught, not know what to do, so they don't know what they're going to do. Their, their wife doesn't know if they're going to be able to take care of their family without them having a job. Um, then some of them were married with, in the fire service, both the, the, the uh, mom and the dad, you know, and they were the whole, the whole um, livelihood depends on the fire department. They both don't want to get it. Um, so it was a big time issue. And then I got a call from a retired fire chief in West Palm Beach. Uh, saying that a lot of his people were worried about the mandate coming at them if I was willing to start a group of people to help fight the mandates and see what we can do about the mandates. And then that's how um, I kind of got forefronted into into the whole fighting the, man- the mandate thing. So. so I have friends in LAPD, city of Gainesville, all over the country that are saying they're going through the same thing. What's interesting, and we'll probably touch on in a minute, they all seem to observe the union doing next to nothing the organizations that we pay thousands to every year, but we'll get to that in a moment. But I want to be devil's advocate on a couple of things. People say, for example, well, Steve, you had to have vaccinations to get this job. How is this any different? When you got your MMR and your TB, or TB test already, you know, and your, your Hep B, did the Republicans and Democrats come and give you a, a discussion first before you no, got it? it was all... Well, first off, you don't really put much thought into it, uh, the vaccinations, you know, just get your vaccination and you're like, yeah, maybe this COVID vaccination 10 years from now will be one of those things. 
But I think if you look at those particular, they've been around for how long? I mean, I, I couldn't, I, I haven't done that research. I'm, I can't speak intelligently on it, but has the hepatitis B vaccination, have those, the flu vaccination, those have been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. I see. I, I've had those ones done, the yeah. work related ones, but I don't take the flu jab. I don't do the, no, fl- I don't, I don't the flu, flu either. Yeah. I don't do the, the flu, flu either. either. So I'm not anti-vax. Well, in, the, but, in the military, he could, he could, he could test. We had yeah. the shot, we had shot day where actually you, you you're lining up <laughs> and there's, you just gi- get there's gym up. mats laying yeah. on the floor and then the line, it was, it was an you get the penicillin, inter- yeah, entertaining day for me. A and B. Yeah. You I get, mean, you get, just what, get like, lined up. 16 shots in one day. But, and, but there was a couple that you had to sign waivers for. I think it was anthrax and some other ones you had to sign waivers for. What, hey, it's an experimental one do you want to take it or not and you can take it if you, or not and because it hasn't been tested enough you know so at least they give you the option there and even in the military they did that. i will tell you i will i will tell you that and i'll speak on the vaccinations um it, it, it's more concerning for me now um only because of how politicized this is it makes me question yes. things um when i have when i have governors who are saying hey go get this vaccination telling telling their state to go get this vaccination and they'll get them a free cheeseburger at the local uh, up in New York. I mean, that to me is why are you why are you um, trying to incentivize or or uh, bribe people to go get this vaccine? Why is we'll it give you two hundred fifty dollars? Right, get, we're gonna, right, we're right, gonna right. give you a lottery. You know, no one gave me dollars. anything when I went in the army uh, to to get the vaccinations. It was just something you did. You know, looking back as you know an eighteen year old. I don't think I knew any better, but I will tell you that me personally with my, with my, my children, um, it was a concern because I've, I've literally sat there with my oldest and had a pediatrician say, Hey, we've got six shots for your kid today. Whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean? Six shots? I was like, this is only a, a six month old or however old he was at the time. And my wife and I went and found a a pediatrician, a different pediatrician. We're like, we're not going to do that. We're going to ex- extend this over a period of time. And so I don't want to, I didn't want that pediatrician to give my, my young son, my firstborn, something that I had no idea that I hadn't done any research on. So I think from my, from when my kids started getting older, you know, as, as they started entering school, you know, that was something that I needed to, to do a little bit more research on. And, and right here now we're walk, talking about these vaccinations and it, it, it makes me question it even more because of what's going on in this world. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I mean, so, so two things from that. Firstly, you have, like you said, you didn't give it a thought because it wasn't politicized. Mm -hmm. And I actually had a kind of, I was taken aback a little while ago. My son's 14 on his 13th year wellness check. His pediatrician, who I trust and is very, very conservative usually with stuff. He's, he's excellent, but the HPV they're mm-hmm. giving it to boys now and really? it took me aback and I ended up going with him because I'm like in a quick little internal you know monologue I'm like well I trust this doctor you know he's never said Ty should have anything that he shouldn't you know um so you know but then in hindsight now I probably wouldn't have done it but I didn't know anything about it therefore it changed my perspective you know I think it's the same with this this now is like if it had been if explained well and they're like hey this is just a slight step to the left from this one that we have been studying for years. And here's the pros and here's the cons. We talk about fertility in women. You know what really affects fertility in men and women in the fire service? Shifts. Shifts. Sleep. Yeah. Lack of sleep. A thousand times more than this this potentially could through a vaccine. No one seems to be willing to to look at that. 
to, to create a D shift so we can actually give these men and women recovery. You know what I mean? So, but what's so you're talking about just the, the sleep schedule, the, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. So to me, I think the 2472 is a gold standard in the fire service, but try getting any union to talk about that. It's just, you know, it's dead in the water every single time. It, yeah. So if we're talking again about wellness, we're talking about wellness. If we're not, then we're talking about politics. And this is, as you said, this is what this has become. I had an episode with uh, Dr. Chris Colvin that I did to bring a middle-of-the-road, common-sense, educational approach about vaccinations. Chris is the medical director for his area just outside Austin, Texas. He's an ER physician. He's a, um, a veteran, and he also was one of the uh, doctors on call for the Fort Hood attacks. Mm-hmm. He not only worked on the attackers, but also, um, excuse me, on the victims, but also the attacker. You imagine how that was yeah. <laughs> to have yeah. to, to save that shit bag. But this is a man who I truly, this is a man who walked through the Texas ice storms to get to his ER to relieve one of his doctors. And this guy is, you know, he walks the walk and he laid it out beautifully. And at the end of it, you're like, I still don't want to get it, but I understand my decision. Or, you know what? I was on the fence. Now I'm going to get it. That is not what's happened. And this is the biggest issue. So because that hasn't happened, now you've got this mandate thing and it's not about health. If no. it was about health, then, like I said, we would have addressed all these these wellness initiatives the last right. year yeah, and they, a half. They would, have, they would have mandated, you know, working out for an hour or they would have took away right. the fast food restaurants. They would have, you know, banned cigarettes. They would have done a lot of other things that actually, you know, was proven to improve your health rather than push push these vaccines that are, that are to me, still under, under experimental trials. So, Can you imagine our department uh, taking one hour of the day and allowing a battalion to go out of service? Yeah, to work know? out. And, and, and maybe maybe not a battalion. I know logistically that could be a little bit difficult. But we can take six state, six fire trucks out of out of service for training. Yes. So why not? Hey, you guys got the eight to nine. You guys got the nine to ten. And you do. We'll bump it up to seven trucks, one per battalion. You know, one rescue, one battalion. You know, and then start going through it that way. We we don't have forty nine stations, but you know, in seven hours we could complete. You know, the entire entire, entire, entire entire department, the entire department. Hey, you're from 830 to 930 and in seven hours, you know, and you rotate it. But can you imagine us trying to do that? You know, well, let me play devil's advocate. How about you don't do that? How about you just bring the fit truck back? Oh, and open or, the that, or that, that. Yeah. and say next year we're going to be doing the three four three. So let's start changing. Charge I mean, I think the fit, fit truck is, is, a, is, is a great tool, but it's just another tool. You know, uh, we've got... Our our stations, most of them, uh, the majority have, of them actually areas. have great workout rooms. You know, um, 51, 41 have great, uh, great set of equipment. A lot of guys bring their own stuff in. You have a look at 35. They got some really good equipment. Right. And, so, and and we do have enough for our department. We do have enough peer fitness trainers. So we can send peer fitness trainers out to a battalion, out there. you know, and then have, you know, organized workouts, you know, or, or tailored to the personnel that are on that shift. You know, so say you got a shift full of, you know, older guys that are at an outlying station, you know, that are getting close to retirement. You could tailor their workout towards them rather than, you know, you got a busy 51. We got all the young guys there and you can tailor the workout towards, towards you them. You know, every morning I pull up to 51 and those guys are out there busting their butt you know, working out my guys, you know, and, and I told myself, you know, cause I hate, I hate working out in the heat, but I still do. And, uh, I told myself, oh, you know what? I, you know, I just didn't stay employed long enough to get to the cooler weather. So, so, uh, I was hoping, you know, November, December to start joining these guys in the morning and a little bit cooler, but I mean, that's, can you imagine if that's what we started to do? I, I think about it like the military. Um, Jason, you remember showing up to PT and yep. in, in the army, you'd, you'd, 
you'd get up at six o'clock in the morning, you show up for formation and you guys would do a, a five mile run and then you go shower, report to your shift. Can you imagine if, if, if I were to say as a battalion chief in battalion four and say, Hey, I want everybody at station uh, at 51 tomorrow morning, we're all going to line up for formation, you know, and we're going to start doing that every morning before we come in. Can you imagine if that was the the routine? Right. That's you pretty know? awesome. That would be an, I mean, yeah, we, if, if, even if we were to, I, I, I don't know if we would say, let's pay the guys. I don't, as far as payment, I don't know. Right. I, I think you could do it. Right. Um, we, we, we actually had Wasman. He was part of Battalion 4 for a little bit. Um, he, he challenges guys and said, hey, if you come down to the Fit Pit, an hour after you get off a shift uh, for eight consecutive times, then I'm going to give you a special T-shirt tailored, tailored towards you. And we made the T-shirt up. And he was probably having about 25 to 35 of his guys come in an hour yeah. after the shift. And that Battalion 4 is a busy, 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 busy battalion and a thing. Busy, busy so they were having these guys. Just by him doing that, they would have, you know, at least the least I think we've had was 20 guys. But in the maximum, I think we have 40 guys. People are so quick to leave in the, in the morning. Yeah. that And this is included in our leaders is, is, is people are so quick to leave in the morning now i understand we all have families and responsibilities outside of work you know but we're so quick to leave you know and i think the, about those things right that is a great example right there of, of what oh yeah and those guys the, the fitness levels justin they, they did it for about they held it together you know it's hard to hold things together in the fire service but they held it together for a three three and a half month period sure and those guys health and attitudes and camaraderie just gained and gained and gained oh, yeah. over and over and i mean i enjoyed it i loved it i looked forward to it after they got off shift every day i knew they were coming in there and i had a workout and uh it was a great thing to see and it was sad when when he left everything just you know just went back to normal and those guys stopped coming in yeah but like you said it goes down to leadership if your leadership organizes something like that you guys tend to follow especially when you have a great great leader mm-hmm. so well just a, another thing adding on to that one thing that i've kind of come across a lot with this is punctuating the shift so battalion four was my battalion too so i'm on rescue 70 getting my ass handed to me all night you know do an overdose on OBT and then a shooting up in 50s area you know and then you know god knows what else and then you get off shift that's a great way to create an hour of space to decompress before you go home and be mom, dad, sure. you know, husband, wife. So that's another good idea mentally is having that kind of off-gassing The luxury moment. of firefighters uh, with our jobs is we do have that ability. I said, you know, I like to do things during the week because if I get off Monday morning after a shift on Sunday, wife and kids are at school and work. I have time to myself, you know, if I'm not working a shift, you know, you're right. We could coordinate a workout program. So that would, that would be something to, to incentivize. I mean, you want to talk about incentivizing, Hey, we'll give you a free day off. If you show up at the fit, yeah. you know, well, people would love oh, that. Or look, you know, we don't incentivize, you know, the iPad, like you right. were talking about earlier. What if we were to say if how many guys can get into the five minute club, the four minute club, you know, and we'll, we'll give you $15 a month off your health insurance. Yeah. You know, so yeah. You know, which I had is, the which shirt. Yeah, I know. Yeah, every day the shirt search were cool. We'd have the you know yeah. the five minute club, but fifteen dollars off your health proud. insurance, yeah. or and, and that could have that could accrue. Yeah, accrue, uh, yeah, accrue. every year. Just and, and that's incentive to stay healthy. Stay and healthy, then that, and then that'll and in fact de- decrease what work is you're, you're weighing in. I weighed in at two thirty last year. Okay, I was mm-hmm. fat, overweight. You know, I was I was eating unhealthy. I was drinking uh, probably four or five sodas a day. I mean, that's just, I haven't touched a soda since January. Now I have a different reason for not uh, touching a soda, but, uh, it, it ended up, um, it ended up taking off. I cold, I cut it cold turkey. 
um, and I haven't touched another soda since. So that's um, if we were to do that, for example, right. you know, show that, like you said, you used to take a, a body composition every every other every year. Every other year, yeah. If if you were to come and be like, hey, Steve, you got you got oh man, you weighed in at two thirty last year. Dang, you're at two oh four this year. Dang, and then you were to show that and be like, look, these guys, th- we could add this to the promotional. Uh, process right. so many points if you're getting you know five minute club you get a, a certain no Point different than in. no different than the apft right in the yeah, army. Yeah, same it's thing it's a scoring yeah. system yeah, yeah, you know towards your, towards your rank. I, I would get 300s yeah. when i was in the in the army yeah so um you know you basically max out on your push-ups your sit-ups and your run and you run yeah and you would get that point system would be added to your promotional process at the end. And I've talked about this ever since I've been on with this with Orange County is that we should be incentivizing the promotional or the iPad as a promotional process. Because if I'm competing against you and I'm smoking you on the iPad, but you did better on maybe the written. Now I've balanced it out. We've, we've even the playing field because I've taken, you know, I've done one other thing. Now, if I'm a great athlete, and I have, you know, I've, I've studied hard. Well, then I'm going to be at the top, you know? Yeah. Those are the incentives. So those are things that we should really be looking at as a department, as, you know, a fire service in general. Right. Yeah. And instead of bringing right to the subject, instead, uh, we taken all that away. Right. You know, and then also, uh, I did a study. Well, we, we did a study. The safety wellness program did a study. We asked our, our doctor, Dr. Portnoy, who's our doctor, does our physicals. We t- asked him, Hey, you, th- you think you guys, you can get a list of guys, uh, body weight and if they gained or lost anything in this, in this whole year of COVID? And he said, Oh, yeah, sure. I, you know, went back and he, he told us 70% of the fire department gained 10%, 10%. You know, that could be even more depending on your body weight or more, or t- yeah. 10% or more of body weight in that, in that year, 70% of the fire department. And that's because they shut down the safety owners. They shut down the, the gym. They shut down the exercise and they weren't caring. We're, about we're it. just as at fault. And I don't mean us three. Um, but firefighters in general are just as, you know, we're bad about this because we'll tell you in training, hey, make sure you show up to the station and, and bring the donuts. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Bring the bagels, bring the donuts. Now, don't get me wrong. Those are always great. You know, I enjoy having a donut once. Well, not recently. I don't. But um, the the donuts are something that's always been, you know, a, a temptation on the table. They sit there. You got a, a box of Krispy Kremes or I forget the place over at 37. Oh, What's yeah, the place at 37? DG, DG Donuts. Yeah. yeah I mean, when yeah. those come in, <laughs> you're you like, man. Like one donut. Yeah. yeah. Uh, cookies, donuts. I mean, uh, people walk into the fire station all the time and say, hey, look, I got I just made a big batch of whatever brownies, cupcakes, and they drop them off. So we're we're just. We're our own worst I brought, enemies. I brought some fruit my first day because I was in the health, and then yeah. those guys didn't talk to me for three days. <laughs> <laughs> they did. I'll, well, never, I'll never forget to get this, that. A banana. Yeah, I don't they were, want no damn banana. They, well, they, they didn't say one word to me on purpose, you know. And I, but you got to spice it up though. a little bit. Maybe like a a yogurt with some yogurt and some fruit, from and like fruit, yeah. make a whole big. You know, yeah, batch me, of me, yeah, maybe I should have got the edible with, with yogurt, a chocolate covered uh, some granola on top or something. Yeah. I remember when I was cooking, they'd be like, "What are we having again? Nuts and berries?" I'm like, "Jobs open, fucker. Yeah, they, they, <laughs> they, they feel they, free they to step in. They could wanted me to cook. I was cooking chicken and, and broccoli and rice all the time. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, we tear. We're, you know, we're having chicken and rice, chicken and broccoli. <laughs> we're circling back round to the vaccine. So just just to kind of interject something as well, um, Chris and. Several other ER physicians I've seen have all said the ones that are dying are nearly all vaccinated. I mean, excuse me, nearly all unvaccinated. The ones that are dying. So are unvaccinated? That, uh, un- unvaccinated. Mm-hmm. So 
there definitely seems to be a very strong common denominator that the vaccine, if you have it, if you if you, if you have a good reaction to it, definitely downgrades the intensity of COVID if you get it. But there's another, you know, very accepted, you know, philosophy that you can still contract COVID with the vaccination, which gets a lot of us questioning, well, is that immunity then? The other conversation that blows my mind is that the natural immunity from actually getting COVID doesn't count, but you have to have a vaccine. So I think, again, this whole issue, uh, I heard Joe Rogan discussing it. Um, and, you know, it's something I've said this whole time that why are we not testing for antibodies? That's what we should be testing for. You if know, you Orange County had an opportunity um, in March or April to do an antibodies test. Uh, I had a contact through one of the guys at Station 41 whose father was close friends with a guy at DOD, offered us, Orange County firefighters, he offered us, he had over a million or a billion, I forget, testing kits uh, in a spot over on the uh, west side of Orlando, and he wanted Orange County to participate in this antibody study he was doing down in, I think I think it was Brevard, or Broward and Miami-Dade, and they got on the study. But we had the opportunity in Orange County to do antibody tests. Now, I was able to, um, Orange County turned it down. I submitted all the information up the chain of command. I said, hey, let's let's try this. This is something I submitted all the documents got denied, but I reached out to the same guy. He's been, he's in DOD. And then I, I, I it's, it's slipped at the top of my, uh, slipping my brain right now on his other uh, credentials, but he ended up giving me enough antibody tests to test everybody at the fire station because station 41 at that time was the one station that was, um, was exposed to the first COVID uh, firefighter. And so we were all concerned. I mean, we all didn't know what was going on. No one knew what was going on, but we had the first, it was a, it was a single prick to the finger. You get your blood, you drop it into the, the, uh, it, w- it was almost like taking your glucose, but you'd, you'd get that and you drop it into the little thing. And in about 15 minutes, you'd know whether you had antibodies or not. And there was only like two guys that actually had uh, tested uh, with antibodies, but we had the opportunity uh, to get that information early on, but no one wanted to look into it. Now I, I can't speak on outside of you know my chain of command, but it wasn't it wasn't done, and why not? Mm-hmm. You know, well that but, just seems seems to be sorry. Um, such a great solution. Whether you had it, whether you've been vaccinated, whatever it is, this is saying if I'm exposed to this, my immune system's going to take care of it. You know, and I think what I agree with my dad was actually saying. Early on, there were people like, dude, I had these exact symptoms a few weeks ago, but I took an antibody test and it's not showing up. The samples that were probably being used beginning of COVID were probably patients in the ER that mm-hmm. were incredibly sick with it at that moment. So their antibody levels were probably through the roof or they were, as it was fighting it. So I'm wondering if they made that threshold far too high versus people that have, you know, three, six you, you months. You know, so I, I've talked about this and this is what's unfortunate about this whole thing. And this is why it has been politicized. You know, whether you're a vaccinated believer or you're an unvaccinated believer. Um, a person that is is believing that the vaccination is the way to go could bring documentation could bring uh, an expert witness, a physician, a scientist, and say, look at this. This is what he is saying, what they are saying. 
And on the opposing side, I, someone that doesn't believe in it, could do the same thing with a physician, scientist, documentation, and so on. So what what we're seeing in this great divide right now is that you have people that are getting information from from professionals, from experts, and we're all divided amongst our beliefs because we don't know what to believe because you have to choose one side. And there's confirmation bias. Whatever you believe in is the knowledge that you seek out. But I can tell you right now, it's happening in our department right now because the only people that are getting tested weekly are the ones who have chosen not to prove or get a vaccination. Okay. So if you look at the hospitals, this is being reported in the hospitals too. If the three of us go into, um, the local ER or, and each one of us has the exact same symptoms. Okay. Let's just call it flu like symptoms. We each stand in right behind each other. One, two, and three, you walk in and you talk to the charge and the charge or, or the one of the, uh, the charge nurse. And you say, Hey, I've got flu like symptoms. She asks you, are you vaccinated or unvaccinated? You say I'm vaccinated. Well, she puts you off to the left side. Jason walks in, same thing, same person. Hey, are you vaccinated or unvaccinated? He, she puts him to the right side. I walk in, I do the same thing. I'm unvaccinated. They put me to the right side. Are they testing you? They're not testing you, but they're testing both of us. Now, if one of us comes up positive, guess what our numbers have now done? What about your numbers? I can tell you right now, I've already heard several stories in our department alone. Guys now have these testing kits. And what they're doing is the unvaccinated guys are testing and they're coming up negative. Now, there's been several guys that have just, let me see where I'm at. I got the I got a testing kit right here. Let me check it out. They test themselves, coming up positive, and they're vaccinated. So why are we not testing everybody? And it's the question. Mm-hmm. Okay. Why is why are we not doing this? And we 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 are we're literally segregating people based on vaccination status, which is completely wrong. And, and this is why I have a problem with all this, is because we shouldn't be having conversations whether someone's vaccinated or not. I could care less. You know what? Um can you do the job? Yes, I can do the job. I'm not getting sick. I, I've been almost two years in this stuff now, and I haven't, knock on wood, you know, haven't gotten sick, you know. So is that because I take um, supplements to, you know, vitamins, I should say, and, and those things to make sure I'm healthy? Is it that because I stay fit? I take care of my body. I make sure that I'm physically fit. I'm healthy. I'm mentally prepared. You know, I was, I was, I heard the other day that, Jason and I are not as prepared to go on a medical scene because we're unvaccinated. But I can tell you right now, the two of us could probably outrun the majority of our department just because of our physical fitness, our mental stability, and just the way we we perform. Okay, so tell me that you're you're more prepared than right. I am, and and our experience as well, too. Right, right. So which they're getting, they're losing when they're firing all these people. Right. And that's what right. I, and that's what I think. You fire you fire experience. all these experienced firefighters and then you oh okay, well, I got a brand new rookie, he's vaccinated, you know, but he's gonna be able to do the job better than that 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 twenty year veteran after he's been, you know, like just like Jesus, take care of his body, you know, make sure he does the job, has all these hours of training. You know, you're not asking, Hey, how many hours of training does he got? What what time did he get on his physical fitness test? You know, those are maybe the questions you need to ask him when you call nine one one. You know, or in or not if hey, are you vaccinated or not? That what does that make a big difference of who's going to show up there to save your life or who's going to be able to, you know, work a code on, on your grandma or something like that. So, yeah. And I've seen comments. And again, I have to preface this because I mean, this is sadly the lens that we get. Right. The normal people don't have a loud voice because they're normal people. Right. So we always hear the assholes. 
mm. but I've heard, you know, I'm not letting an unvaccinated you know, person work on me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see when you're bleeding, yeah. hanging out of a crash car. I saw the other day a medic um, who I blocked because that's not cancel culture. That's just I don't allow dickheads on my social media. You don't want to bring them down. You bring and, them down. Right? Uh, she was like, I'm, I don't, I'm not. I'm not prepared to spend my taxpayers' money on death benefits for an unvaccinated cop. And her handle was like cheesecake muncher or something. Yeah, so I'm yeah. sure she was an Insane. elite athlete. Um, George Takai, who I love, the guy that played, um, is it Sulu? No, that was the girl in Star Trek, the Asian. Anyway. Um, I'm a Star Wars guy. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> normally super cool. Right. And he posted a thing and it said something like, these vaccine mandates are taking care of police reform. Mm-hmm. Oh, what a goodness, shitty geez. thing yeah, to say well, that's crazy so this is how some of these people have been brainwashed yeah. because it's been politicized I don't remember anyone talking about hep B no or HIV or meningitis Nothing. any of that stuff Dr. Dr. Brian Artis is Dr. Brian Artis is someone I just went and uh, looked up real quick um, he, he talks about beginning of all this and I, I would encourage anybody listening to to look up his stuff because he is he's coming out and speaking about all this stuff, things that people may not have heard. They're not going to see it on the uh, the media. They're not going to see it on your CNNs, the MSNBCs. You may not even see it on Fox. Um, you're not going to see it on our local channels. But he is out there talking, and he's even been shut down on YouTube. However, you can still find him out there, Dr. Brian Artis, and he talks about how all this stuff is and how – Things don't appear the way they really are, and how people are really getting sick. We were talking about it today. Regener- uh, Regen- Regeneron, yeah. Is it Regeneron? No, Remdesivir. Remdesivir is the one. And and, and yeah. I'm I'm, I'm messing the, the the name of the medication up, but it's the number one medication that's being used in protocol uh, for hospitals for patients that are coming in with these type of um, illnesses, uh, COVID type symptoms. They're being put on these things. And he talks about this in length and in what's much more intelligent than I'm going to be able to talk about. But he will tell you that it was a 54% uh, mortality rate when they studied it during the Ebola virus. And it, it has, um, it causes liver failure, kidney failure, and heart failure. And this is the number one drug that's being used in the United States. And I believe it was Israel was the other country that's using this number one drug. And uh, this is what's being used in the hospitals. And you're seeing that the patients are now dying uh, when they got COVID of liver failure, kidney failure, and heart failure. And then they're not able to to get these things. So that's where I have to question some of these things. You talked about Joe Rogan just a second ago. Joe Rogan advocated for ivermectin. Okay. I just had a few weeks ago, a physician come to the, come to the station and um, she and I were talking about some things. And then uh, she was talking about being in a hospital in a rural area. And then she had mentioned uh, that she couldn't believe that there was some parents that were bringing in their, their uh, children and they had put them had given them a horse dewormer and I think she was expecting me to have some sort of um, some reaction when she said a horse dewormer because when when she says they put them on a horse dewormer and I was just stood there with a blank stare as if un, unimpressed by what she was saying and she goes you know that's a uh, or, no she said ivermectin and I just out of blank stare. And she goes, you know, that's a, a horse dewormer. And I said, 
ah, this is where we're going to go with mm-hmm. this. I said, you do understand that ivermectin has been around for decades. Years, I said, it's years. been issued out to billions of people. I said, it's actually, I think it's two Nobel Peace Prizes for disease uh, uh, curing yeah. it medication. Gets, it, it gets prescribed by doctors. It gets prescribed by doctors. Now, granted, ivermectin at the tractor supply store may not be the right dosage. However, if we're living in times where physicians are not doing their due diligence and they're following a protocol and just because someone says you got to do it and they're not doing any research at all they're just getting this and they're just saying give this medication because i say so without questioning it well you're not doing the best for your patients and this is what i believe is what she was referring to is that she's people are going to in rural areas are going to survive. And if they know that it's at, at the local tractor supply store, the tractor feed store, and they can get it, they're going to use it. Yeah. You know, people are people are going to survive. Now, it might be the wrong dose. So that's, you know, I, I don't advocate for taking that. I'm just saying that it is available, you know, in human form at the right dosage, you know. But the, the problem is, is when I go to my local physician and they say, oh, no, we can't give you that. Or the pharmacy yep. says we won't we won't fill that prescription. What do people do? They revert to whatever they can get. Well, and here's the problem. So this is what I see: people picking, sifting through the debris of this whole thing. Oh, here's this treatment, which from what I hear is not very effective overall. The underlying element is health, and sure. no right. one wants to talk about that. No, they they push. They, it was heresy talking about. You know, obesity, hypertension, diabetes at the beginning. You know, I think the WHO a year later said, yeah, maybe there was some relationship. But even now, pro-vax, anti-vax, ivermectin, this and that. What about the fact that 90 plus percent of people that are passing away have, you know, I think it's like mid-90s at least. You have anomalies. But then you look at first responders. Sleep deprived, hormonally crushed. That's why I worry about our profession. That's why I put Chris's thing out because if it stops a firefighter or a cop from dying that was maybe, maybe overweight and just crushed by the job that we do, maybe it would save a life. And I want people to have all, all the, the all tools, the information, right? but the underlying element is health. And the more this is politicized and the more people argue about fucking jab that goes in your arm rather right. than your right. heart and your blood vessels and your hormones, we're still missing the point. Right. So, you yeah. know, that's the thing. Right. So, you know, with this mandate, going back to the mandates, we can kind of get to the, to right. your story now. Sure. Sorry. Yes. No, no, it was good, but these, yeah, yeah. these conversations are very important, but when I start hearing ivermectin and all this stuff, I'm like, dude, you are so fucking off the rails. It is nauseating. Get back into, we have Health. an immune system in the human body that deals with everything that comes our way. Ebola was only a problem if you're malnourished and immune compromised. Right. That's why I didn't do anything in the US. You know, there's not very many, you know, people that are days from death from starvation in the U.S. We're the e- other even the homeless. Side. Yeah, yeah. Even, there's not, there's not one time, the- there's not one time to this whole pandemic, this whole COVID thing that you've heard anybody 
anybody, whether it be the president, whether it be any congressman, anything is, is health is, no. you know, make sure you're healthy, stay healthy. Like whenever you go to the doctor, you get sick, you got a cold. What did he tell you to do? He tells you eat your vitamins, get rest and exercise. Those are the three things that he, that he tells you. Yeah. You might crave something, but his top things are to get some sleep, which is rest, like you said. And then there's, there's eat healthy and take your vitamins and work and exercise. Those are the main keys that has been the main keys forever. And they've no, not been mentioned not once. Well, not not to mention the gyms were closed. Fast food was open. Chick-fil-A yep. probably made more money this this year last 18 months they did the 10 right. years prior you yep. know so so circling around because i mean that, that and, wellness now, yeah, is and, so and now you're telling nobody you, they're not even mentioning that now you're telling somebody to force something into your body after you've had been healthy have you know been taking care of your body your whole life something that that's to me is experimental and i may not need but it comes down to informed consent to me i want to have my informed consent whether or not i take something or not maybe i because i've been working out i've been taking my care of my body i feel i don't need the vaccine to to to, to stay alive and like you said maybe you got diabetes maybe you got hypertension chf you're 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 obese then the vaccine is good for you and maybe you need to take it i mean it. even if you look at medications like for for uh hypertension for diabetes you look at those medications and they have adverse side reactions yes. side effects oh, yes. you know you take this medication it's gonna it's gonna take care of your blood pressure but it's gonna increase your cholesterol and it's, it's gonna not make taking you a diabetic care of your blood or, pressure it's huh? just it's just making the numbers at the doctor's office look right good. it's not so taking care why not do another thing eat right mm -hmm. stay fit get enough sun get enough rest you know, drink plenty of water. I mean, those are things walk every day. Those are things that we should be recognizing. And going back to what you're saying, fitness and staying physically fit, mentally fit, staying, uh, keeping the stress to a, a, a very low is, is very important. So just to summarize, and I want to get to, to, you know, your ejection from your department. Mm -hmm. So we have a president right now that is telling his country, that first responders should be forced to get the vaccine and they should be fired if they don't. Correct. We have um, a vaccine that we know that can still spread the virus. We have no wellness initiatives whatsoever, fast food open, gyms closed, and then parallel that with Orange County. Same thing. You have, you need to take the shot or you're going to get fired, Right. but we're closing the Fit Pit. The 343 is closed. The Fit Truck's not moving. So, and like I said, you can still spread it with the, with the vaccine. And I'm, again, I'm, my and then thing we're going to wear a mask. That's probably going to increase your CO2 levels. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> don't even get me on the mask. Um, but you know, like yeah, I said, we didn't have yeah. that's a bad word now. Yeah. Hypercapnia. But, anybody understand what that is? <laughs> Nobody. Okay. All right. You know, guys know what symptoms are. Oh, Fatigue, dizziness, dizziness blur yeah. vision. Yeah. Anybody? No. Okay. No, and, and then, uh, and then let alone the dental effects is having on. People yeah. Too. Yeah. Well, Sorry. I mean, go ahead. No, but you're, you're good. And even like nasal breathing, being yeah. discouraged wearing a mask, but, um, but so you have a poo-pooing of natural immunity. You have a vaccine where we can spread. We have coming out of this whole pandemic, which is amazing news. And never in 18 months have you seen someone say, hey, it's not as bad as we thought. Mm -hmm. Maybe that would appease some people and get some people outside and breathing air and all that stuff. But no. Um, and it's not coming from a wellness space because everything to do with wellness nationally and in your department has been closed down. So with all that information, and they're saying that you have to take a vaccine because you're part of the problem and you're being selfish, walk me through 
your decision as a leader and then how that put you what, to the other side of Orange Also, I'll tell them about the, all the surrounding fire departments too. What, 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 what's with them? Well, yeah, yeah. Orange County is the only one. I mean, we have how many, how many cities are in Orange County? Are they doing it? I don't think so. How about the surrounding counties? Are they doing it? I don't think so. So that that's my that's my biggest concern is why is Orange County government, Orange County Fire Rescue participating in this type of this type of mandate? So we talked earlier about, you know, I did my station rounds and I was hearing the stress of individuals, men and women. And I have been fielding these questions and fielding these currents for months at the time. You know, we, we, we thought we were going to get terminated. Then it was a written reprimand. And then the day comes where I have to issue these reprimands. Now, I worked, I believe it was September 30th. I worked a time trade. I was off the Saturday because I had a, uh, my kids play soccer and I coach. So I took the weekend off. Uh, October the 1st was the deadline. September 30th with everybody had to have everything. So the first was a Thursday. The second was a Friday. So two days there to get things squared away. Um, Saturday, Sunday rolls around. Saturday, Sunday rolls around. And there's lots of conversation at my my rank and above uh, discussing what we're going to do for Monday. Now, I was not privy to any of these conversations specifically because I was off on Saturday because I was taking a, a day to, to be with my, my family, coach soccer. Um, cause that's my priorities. So I come in Tuesday morning and not a lot was said Tuesday morning. Uh, I know that people were out, you know, battalion chiefs were out Monday doing, doing their rounds, passing out discipline Tuesday rolls around. Not a lot of discussion happening on the teleconference, uh, re- regarding the, the disciplines just, Hey, you got to issue them. I did bring up one question and uh, my question was specifically aimed um, to understand when will these mandates or when will these testings can uh, extend till when is, are we going to be doing this weekly testing for the foreseeable future? So the response that I got from our division chief was uh, these will continue until uh, either a, the uh, local state of emergency ends or it expires. So uh, until the mayor ends it or it expires. Funny that he said that because if you look at the Florida statute and not a whole lot of people uh, look at the Florida statute, but the Florida statute, and I'm going to paraphrase it because I don't have it sit in front of me. But if you look at the Florida statute, I, I believe it's a uh, 252 I, I, I think that's what it is. Um, but if you look at the Florida statute, it actually uh, identifies how long, I lo- how a local state of emergency can be uh, go through. So the local state of emergency says that a a local governor, um, local um, authority can uh, issue out a local state of emergency for seven days. Okay, that that we'll call it the mayor because I don't know the the, the term right now, but the ter- uh, but the mayor can now extend it for in seven day increments up to and not extending past a 42 day max. So if you look at Orange County specifically, the mandate had started on July 28th. So if you count 42 days going by that Florida statute is what it specifically 
references the local state of emergency. That local state of emergency in Orange County should have ended with a 42-day max on September the 7th. So now we're in October the 5th. I'm rolling around on a Tuesday morning, and I'm hearing a division chief tell me that when this expires, the mandates, uh, when the local state of emergency expires or has ended, then we will no longer do testing. So I'm now... I'm questioning this because I know what the Florida statute says. This is what a a statute, a Florida law says. Okay. And I have a division chief telling me that I have to test these people based on, on that right there, the local state of emergency. Okay. I get it. He's going by what the mayor says. So is the mayor acting outside of his authority? That's a question I think everybody should start asking. Uh, because we're now a month after what should have been the end of a local state of emergency. So I'm looking at that and then I'm finding out that uh, I don't get the information until later in the afternoon um, regarding a lot of other things. Um, I get the list. I don't have a list until probably four o'clock in the afternoon. We had a meeting, a battalion chief meeting that, that afternoon. I, I was at a soccer game the night before, so I ended up, you know, um, screaming so loud I had lost my voice, um, so I, I could barely speak. So I didn't. I didn't talk. We had a two-hour meeting. I just sat there very quietly, um, getting a lot of stares. And why don't you participate? Mainly because uh, I didn't agree with what was being said, but I didn't want to waste my voice on things that I didn't agree with. Um, so I just stayed quiet. After that, I ended up speaking with my my supervisor and saying hey listen you know i'm this is what i'm feeling i need some some direction um you send me this uh, she had handed me a the written reprimands uh, the oral warnings and i'm looking at them during this meeting and i'm reading them and i'm seeing inconsistencies with what they have and uh, and i'll tell you about those in a little bit um <clears throat> but i'm seeing the inconsistencies and then um, I get the list later on and the list had about 12 names on it, but there was a larger list. The larger list had um, individuals on there that I had personal discussions with. I had a lieutenant on there and a firefighter that was on there that I had personal conversations with. The lieutenant had actually shown me how to fill out my religious exemption. So I already knew that he had one because he showed me how to do it for me because this is what he did. And then the firefighter who I hadn't spoken to in a, in a, about a week um, was still on the fence, but he was like, yeah, I'm going to do it last. I had spoke, but he's on this list. So I'm assuming that this is incorrect. And I haven't spoken to him that day at the time, but I'm assuming that this is incorrect. Come to find out that I see two people on the list that I've never met before. They're rookies that were on the list who had vaccinated had been had been vaccinated so they shouldn't have been on the list so i'm i'm looking at a list of 12 and a larger list with other people on there that i'm looking at it saying this isn't right i've got somebody who's vaccinated and someone who has a religious exemption and they're on a list that shouldn't be getting written up and they are and so i question it i even make place an email in the in the um uh put it out there hey can we confirm this okay and, and another question i had asked in my email is there was some concern about uh, the the testing kits. The testing kits had a lot of they, everything was expired, and you know, being a medic on a rescue, that we don't give expired meds. You just don't do it. You don't use equipment that expired either. When equipment is found to be expired, we pull it off the truck. 
So I'm looking at all my testing kits in my office. I drive around all the stations. I find out that all of the testing kits all over are all with expired dates. And I, I was given a list like five o'clock at night, maybe five 30. I can't remember the exact time, but a list 24 pages long with lot numbers that say, this is what's supposed to be on it. No, no clear, clear information, no clear direction, but it says the lot numbers represent what's been extended on the, the expiration dates. And I said, well, I'm looking at the the expiration date. I'm looking at the lot number and I'm looking at this 24 page document you just sent me and these lot numbers don't match. So what you're telling me is to order guys to take this test, which could be in fact expired. You've already done this for two days. If this comes back and this isn't correct, then you may be charged with all kinds of stuff. If people start coming out and saying, you made me take a forced, uh, an expired medication or expired product. And it's caused, we had a young lady today talk at our press conference where she's, she's having constant nosebleeds now after giving herself, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, um, the COVID swab, swab test, test, the nasal, swab test, nasal swab. the nasal swab. So, um, had these been expired, does she have a claim? So I'm questioning, two things. Now I'm questioning the vaccination status of two individuals. I'm questioning the religious exemptions on two individuals. I'm questioning the lot numbers and the expiration dates on some of these things. And um, so I'm asking all these questions and I'm not getting any answers. Uh, it comes around eight o'clock at night. I finally get a phone call and I finally I tell the chief chief, I cannot issue these written reprimands until I know that they're um, that we've confirmed these people are, are vaccinated or or we confirm these people have religious exemptions. Uh, we have to figure this out. Well, just issue it. And we'll figure it out later. The fact that I'm being told to issue a reprimand that's undeserved going through what we've gone through in the last year. We just talked about stress. Now I'm giving someone an unwanted um, an unwanted reprimand knowing that we've just lost five brothers earlier this year, four to suicide, and we're now adding more stress to people's lives that it's unnecessary. Now we're going through all of these, now we're going through all of these uh, stressors, the additional stressors that we don't need. If I'm going to you and I'm saying, James, here, I got to write you up. And you're like, but I'm, I'm exempt. Well, I'm sorry. I'm going to do it to you anyways. Those are the things that we we, we don't need to add to your life just to come back a week later to say, yeah, I was wrong. That's unnecessary. Well, let me ask you this. If you get pulled over and the officer goes, well, I'm just going to give you a speeding ticket now, even though you were doing three miles below the speed limit and he said you were, maybe like, I'll sort of out later. Right. Like that's that, not, that's not what you do. No. Right. And so that's exactly what I was being told to do. And I said, well, I, I'm sorry. I don't want to create more. And I was very professional, very tactful hard to talk. So I was coming off very uh, whispery, I guess, but I, I explained, Hey chief, I'm sorry. I don't mean to cause you any more um, work to do tonight. I don't want to cause any problems, but this is where I'm standing and I'm not going to give these written reprimands until we confirm it until I know I'm just not going to do it. I feel that these are unlawful um, in, in, in several ways. And I explained, uh, I only explained one just now. Um, 
If you look at Title VII of the Civil Rights Act, it actually talks about religious groups, uh, how you can't discriminate, segregate uh, uh, race, um, national origin, religion. Okay, and that's essentially what we're doing. You heard today in the press conference that when when we go into training nowadays, um, you will have individuals set up tables and say, "Jason, go go to your table and go get your." your your uh testing kit so they're segregating people based on their vaccination yep. status totally it, against it's even on a telestaff yeah it's on the telestaff they've they've got lists of names of people who are on the telestaff with with their names saying you need to be tested every week so these are they've already segregated based on your testing your vaccination status yeah so on everybody's qualifications it'll have like dive rescue diver rescue swimmer now uh, it says out of class. now it says test on it if you're if you're either unvaccinated or you didn't turn your vaccination isn't there an element of hipaa violation with yeah, that so exactly. that, that these are things that we're we're trying to expose um some may be under HIPAA, some may may be that gray area, and that's those are things that we're trying to to you know get out in the open for people to understand. But regardless of all of that, is these people weren't confirmed, and we're still giving them reprimands, and I'm trying to let them know. So we fast forward. I go down to the um, um, station thirty. I do my. Uh, I have my union represent uh, rep there. And, you know, I start going through, hey, this is why I feel that we are violating the law. We are violating people's civil rights. We are violating. um, This is something that needs to be confirmed. These are the discussions we had. And I'm told, sorry, you need to issue this or, you know, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to give you a direct order to go issue these. And if you if you don't do it, then, you know, um, you're going to get in trouble. And. Yeah, you know, I understood what was happening. I honestly, at the time, didn't think I would get terminated. I thought it was more of a suspension, or at least maybe just investigated it, and then it would all just, you know, uh, he's right. You know, let's. He just saved us a ton of money and a huge lawsuit. Which, if you look at what's going on right now, uh, the uh, the governor and the attorney general is now involved in this in this whole thing. So more to come. Uh, stand by and um, uh, get your popcorn ready, but uh. So the very next day, the, the individual that was in uh, that meeting with me, who was my union rep, he ended up having to do the same thing I was doing that day, issue at, uh, reprimands. And he was coming across the same thing. He ended up going to a fire station and saying, hey, I got to give you this written reprimand. And the guy's like, I've got a religious exemption. And he goes, well, you're on the list. He's like, but I got a religious exemption. And just to give you a little bit of uh, backstory is everybody that got a religious exemption never got confirmation that they were exempt no one got no no one got a hey you've been approved nobody got that but he had filled one out so i wasn't on the list but i did it back in august because i thought i was going to get terminated september 1st had i not done it on august 25th so i that's when i did it so guys that had done it on the september 30th so this is what we go so he's out there and this is what this guy tells us so he calls the he calls the assistant chief and says, hey, what do you want me to do? This guy's telling me this. He says, issue it. And he says, when you're done, I need you to come down to the station so you can get yours. And he's like, well, chief, I've got a religious exemption. OK. And he's saying, well, you're on the list. So this chief takes it to another uh, another level. This battalion takes it to another. He goes to HR, says, hey, what can we do? He goes to the the head of HR 
comes to find out that they even acknowledge that this is incorrect and nobody should be getting their reprimand until it's confirmed. Now, we've mind you, this is the third day we've been issuing out reprimands. Okay, now in our documentation, we have evidence to show that the that the uh, human resources said, yeah, we don't need to do this. Okay, so we're looking at these things and saying, all right, what are we what are we going to do about this? Well, we're going to stop all written reprimands right now. So that moment in time, it was, I think, a Wednesday afternoon. It was they came out and said, we are not going to uh, issue out any reprimands. We're going to pull all the reprimands back. Exactly what I had been saying the night before. Okay, what I was relieved of duty at 10 o'clock at night on that Tuesday night was exactly what was said the next day and was exposed the next day and what they admitted to by saying stop issuing them let's retract everything so all the original reprimands that were issued all the original documents were all pulled back which not all of them were because i have some of them um, to show that they were actually issued some of them were shredded we know that we have we have proof that they were shredded yeah we we have an email from the union president saying that they were going to shred 60 of the reprimands that they were handed out and that's government you know i, I mean once you issue these things this is this you is can't, this you can't shred you can't but, shred government but, documentation that's exactly government what's being no. that's what's happening right now in orange county fire that's rescue public record you sure yeah so We've we've we have that. And and I know they know we know. So uh, it's just a matter of now when we explain this during my my PDH, I got I got PDH. These are the things that we came forward with. And this was our defense was a Title seven violation, which um, human resources had admitted to violating a human uh, uh, title seven violation, a civil rights violation. Um, These are the things that I was trying to deliver in my my hearing so in my hearing it was i was questioned um hypothetically next week you're given these written reprimands will you give them and i said just flat out yes yes i will okay and and the reason i said that he goes well okay wait 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 so what's the difference between next week and last week now before I get into tell you what I responded with is right before he asked me that hypothetical question, he read the impact bargaining agreement. I had no knowledge of the impact bargaining agreement. I hadn't read it. Um, I hadn't seen it. Um, but I knew that there was some inconsistencies. Um, he had asked me these questions and he read it verbatim. He says that you know, you know that people are going to get written up. And I said, yeah, we're, they're going to get written up. And so when I looked at it, I said, hey, um, the impact bargaining says this, that people won't be getting any additional uh, discipline. OK, it says that in the impact bargaining. That's what it says. They're not going to get that. I said, but I'm showing you the written reprimand that I've been telling you that's wrong. It violates the impact bargaining agreement because it says right here. And I read it verbatim. I don't have it in front of me, but it says any additional consequences, uh, any additional occurrences will result in further discipline up to termination. And I'm like, you're violating the impact bargaining agreement. This is what I'm trying to tell you. You guys are violating 
uh, all these, I said, this has been done so quickly and you guys have not thought about this, but you have a templated uh, reprimand that you didn't look at that violates the impact bargaining. I've been telling you that you're violating the law as well and you guys aren't listening to me and that's why we're sitting here today. Going back to my answer when in my hypothetical, um, that's what I had said. I said, well, yes, I will. I will do it because the reason is, is I would hope that next week you would have corrected the written reprimand and you would have corrected the Title seven violations. You would have confirmed that there is no person on this list that has a religious exemption, a medical exemption or is vaccinated. And then it would be a legal, lawful order. And so when I said that, um, I they, I didn't get no re, re, uh, rebuttal. I didn't get no follow up question to that. But and I asked, and I said, I know the day I was relieved of duty, the day after I was relieved of duty, that all the written reprimands were pulled and they weren't issued for the next two days. I know for a fact that that happened. I know. And I know that the written reprimands were amended and they're not the same written reprimands from the original ones that were issued. I know that. Um, so these are the things that I discuss in my PDH come to find out, regardless of what I said, they were looking at um, terminating me anyways, because they knew that I was in a lawsuit. They asked several questions in my hearing. Are you involved in a lawsuit? My lawsuit has nothing to do with my termination. My lawsuit has everything to do with a mandate. Okay. Something that had I given those written reprimands, the lawsuit wouldn't have mattered anyways, but they still asked me those things. So were they, were they purposefully terminating me? And this is retaliation because I've been involved in a lawsuit. I, I can't believe anything else. That's all I can believe. Can I believe that um, right now individuals are being uh, given observation forms, oral warnings, written reprimands based on how many times they've uh refuse to take the the uh, nasal swab. If I say, James, I need you, I, I want you to take this and you tell me no, is that not considered insubordination? The same thing that I said, right? You say, hey, Steve, I need you to issue this written reprimand and I tell you no. Is it that not the same thing? Yeah. So and there's, there's a grid system for a reason. Correct. So how come everybody that's refused to do a nasal swab hasn't been terminated? I was terminated for refusing to give a reprimand. They're refusing to do that. And I'm not advocating for them to be terminated. I'm advocating. Uh, I'm saying is there's no consistency. There's inconsistencies in the in the uh, terminations. There's and this. This almost proves the fact that this is a retaliation. This is this is something that that stands out above others. And it's it's one thing is because they knew that I had a lawsuit. They knew that I, I was challenging what they were saying. I, I was trying to do them a favor. So you were terminated when? I was terminated on October nineteenth. Okay, at five p.m. And so, what is the the hope now? Like after termination, what is the fight to not only get reinstated, whether you stay or not, is another question, I'm sure. But also the fight as far as this whole vaccine mandate. So uh, Jason and uh, Wendy founded it, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. uh, they founded Operation Freedom of Choice. Um, I've joined the group, uh, several weeks later. I didn't have a whole lot of knowledge on it. I was, uh, we were on a group chat and, uh, talking about these things and I, I stayed pretty quiet, just kind of listening to people, uh, learning a lot. Yeah, I talked about Dr. Artist a, a little bit earlier. Um, 
I, I actually got exposed to him on this group chat that I'm on with, with like 150 people or whatever it is. And, um, um, I got exposed to that and started to understand that there's, there's a lot more out there that we haven't been exposed to just because we don't have the, the, uh, the platforms nowadays, everything's being censored. So I started, started seeing all these things. I hope that, uh, my job will be in reinstated in full. I, I, I see that happening. I believe that to happen. Um, it, it is difficult to know that when I go back, I'm going to be under the same leadership who essentially despises my train of thought, my, 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 my way of thinking, um, my, my ability to lead people. Um, I've heard the cries, the concerns for months and I'll go even a past a year, um, because I'm there. I, I challenge my superiors only because it's my responsibility as a battalion chief. It's my duty. That is my job. It's not the responsibility of a fireman to complain to my assistant chief, to my division chief. That's my responsibility. I'm supposed to bring what's in my battalion. That's what is the risk. That is why you're there as a chief officer is to make sure one, I'm, you know, that was a question I got asked as well is, is, is there a vehicle of travel that a person could take if they feel that the reprimand is unwarranted? And I said, yeah, the grievance process, there's the lawsuit process. Those were the two that were actually told, you, you know about those, right? And I said, I know about those. And I said, but you're forgetting one other avenue. The other avenue is the battalion chief. The battalion chief holds the responsibility of ensuring that the discipline that is being issued is correct, warranted, and that they have the investigation. And I can go, I can go all night with other other issues that I've have had to correct because discipline was being issued incorrectly by my superiors. And I could show that, that are, that are incorrect, but um, we're, we won't talk about that tonight, but I can go for hours on how, how many, how much stuff I know about this kind of stuff. And, and this is where I stood, stood the line. So Jace, anything you want to add before we wrap this up? Um, yeah, just um, just like Chief was saying that that uh, we decided to form this group, Operation Freedom of Choice, because of we saw the suffering, we saw um, firefighters, you know, not be able to do their job the right way. They were having to call the chaplain, critical is in the stress management on on different different stations. They he's gotten called, I got called. Um, and then it, it got out in the state that other firefighters were suffering the same, from the same thing, whether it was Gainesville, who actually won their case, they started doing it. And then there were scares at Tampa, Palm Beach, everywhere. So I was, we were getting calls reached out from everywhere. So now we, we did form this group. And it started out with just Orange County. And then now we have 15, about 15 to 17 different departments that are involved, um, whether it be West Palm Beach, Miami-Dade, Coral Gables, City of Miami, um, Martin County. Jacksonville, now Cape Canaveral is facing a uh, mandate or get fired. A lot of other people are getting fired, so we feel the need for that. And then it comes back to the union side of it. Um, we formed this group because we weren't getting any help from the union. The union was like, oh, well, just fill out accommodations and uh, and we'll, we'll save your job. And we felt we didn't need to fill out accommodations because we shouldn't have to. We, we shouldn't be getting mandated to, to take something that we don't, that we feel we don't, we don't want to take or, you know, throw anything. And then we feel we got mandated to do this. They might mandate us to do something else. So just leave the door open for that. Um, so then we felt the need for it was good. So we ended up forming this group and, uh, started it. And then we actually, 
we're getting donations to help pay for our legal fees uh, for our lawyer to fight this. Um, from we got you know a huge donation from City of Mi- uh, from uh, Miami Day. We got a huge donation from Cor- Coral Gables. We got a huge donation from West Palm Beach. And while we were getting nothing from our union, um, it was it was just a shame that our union was the only pretty much union that wasn't helping us out at all. And then other fire departments thought their unions weren't helping us that as well. So we formed this group, and we've actually got to do a little bit of help with this group. So that's you know. Just uh, fire department is all over the state working together to try to fight these mandates. Beautiful. I mean, I've said this a lot. The union philosophy to me is amazing. A bunch of men and women banding together to make their profession safer and allow more longevity into their career. And I've seen, of course, there's some great unions out there, um, but I've seen a lot of self-serving in local unions, you know, protecting, you know, fighting fitness incentives, for example, the very thing we talked about for a lot tonight because they themselves know that they're deconditioned and they don't want to put the effort into getting back to where they need to be as a responder. You know, nationally, I haven't really seen anything from our national union with this. And again, I'll be very clear. I took the vaccine. I got to ask a lot of, a lot of people. I didn't feel like it was that big a deal to me personally when I'm going to go and travel internationally and see my very, very elderly grandmother. But I had great middle-of-the-road information because I'm very lucky to have this giant catalog of amazing minds. And experts, yeah. Yeah, that information wasn't available to people. But I am wholly opposed to mandates, especially when our responders have been on the front line and no one cared to the point where we even had politicians saying, let's deliberately give it to them and then they'll have herd immunity. That was said by one of the Miami shitbags, you know, what, a year ago. So... I think it's disgusting that the mandates are happening. I think it's disgusting any union that hasn't stepped up because I paid my dues for the whole time I was a professional firefighter and really got next to nothing in return. The one time I needed them, which was an absolutely trivial incident, they told me it was unwinnable. And a year later, it was thrown out because it was so ridiculous. So, you know, that needs to be pulled out of the shadows as well. So everyone listening, if they want to learn more about Operation Freedom of Choice, if they want to find you online, where are the mm-hmm. best places to go? Yeah, so uh, we have an Operation Freedom of Choice website. It's Operation Freedom of Choice. Um, we also have, a uh, that's on Facebook. We have Instagram, TikTok, same thing. And then we do have a website. If anybody wants to go up to that, that is, let me get the information right now. Uh, okay, let me get it. It's um, operationfreedomofchoice.org. Yeah, www.operationfreedomofchoice.org. And it has all the information on there, contact information, uh, the vice president, treasury, all that stuff like that. So um, if any first responder out there, any fire, any fire department, anywhere, you know, either in the, in the nation, in the state, you know, we're, that's what we're here for. If we're to help every, every, every firefighter out that's going through this, um, that's why, like I said, Port Canaveral Fire Department. Last week, they just got mandated or they're going to get fired. I think their deadline is October 16th or, or so. No, I, I mean, on November 16th. So they're stressing out. So they called us and luckily we were there and then we're going to have them out. We're going to start rallies and stuff. And it's just, um, doing something like that because now we're having the issue. You know, now we have a battalion chief getting fired over these mandates of, of sticking up for his guys and it's causing, uh, so much stress and division in the fire department, I've never seen it before. I think the morale in the fire service right now is the lowest that I've ever experienced in my 17, 18 years of, of being a firefighter. So, and it's sad. It's, it's unfortunate. Um, 
That's an understatement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it really is. You know? Yeah. Well, no, I worry as well about the mental health element too. Sure. You know, I mean, our men and women are running on fumes, especially at the county, 56-hour work weeks, if yeah. you even get to go home that next day. Yeah. You know, I worked it. You know, we were getting slammed. That's why I left Orange County. I was a and, single and dad. It's, and it's during, during when COVID first hit, it wasn't... It wasn't too bad for all of us, I will say, because the call volume went way down. I, I can't remember the exact stats. I think they said that we were running like an average of 300 calls, rescue transports a day. And during the, the, the spike of COVID, we were running about 115. So it had dropped significantly a day. Um, of course, it's back up to its normal time. Um, so we're running even more now. Um, I, I don't know what the numbers are anymore, but uh, that just goes to show you that you know, it is busy. Guys are running, running calls. The stress is now up. Uh, there's no way to decompress because things are closed. Yep. Um, Program I, training is taken away. Training is taken competitions away. Competitions are taken away. Uh, I used to be um, on an AL. I used to run an ALS competition team, and we used to travel the state of Florida uh, with my crew. And we haven't done it in two years now. Part of that is because of COVID. I'll give you that, but it. We couldn't get approved for approval for that. Things are being shut down. Um, our dive team, our dive team hasn't had any, uh, hasn't done any of the uh, uh, recertifying or, or um, uh, check their equipment. We have to recertify our equipment every year, and we haven't done that. So yeah, when this me, stuff starts me, breaking, that, that's the most hazardous job in the fire services. It's got to be, yeah, because I mean, every time we train, we're in a, a IDLH. IDLH yeah. I mean, if you go and train and you know fire. You know, you, you, when you do a, you know, a writ drill, you've got, you know, a smoke machine, you know, you're not setting up the whole, not setting fire to the <laughs> no. you're not setting yeah. fire to the building, you know, hazmat guys, they're not setting up a real hazmat scene, you know, they're putting all the gear on, but I mean, when you dive and we dive in the middle of the night, you know, late at night and, and we're going through entanglement props, that's IDLH. If you have a malfunction on equipment that hasn't been serviced in a year, and it's supposed to be serviced every year. And now you're 20 feet deep in an entanglement prop. Now, granted, we've got safety divers, but things happen. And this is what we have to avoid. And we are we are we are only causing more potential issues uh, if we don't rec uh, fix those things. Absolutely. Well, I, I hope that the mandates stop. I hope this is just one of the many platforms I think. You know, I'm not a big fan of politicians overall, but I think the governor DeSantis has done a great job this last 18 months, and that's not a left or right thing. You know, I just think as a person, just assessing and then making decisions from from each month by month. Um, but I hope as well, listening to this, that people remind themselves that the way we reduce deaths, which is what the concern was with COVID, is that we make people healthier. Yeah. And the fewer people that you know that are vulnerable the fewer deaths we're going to have and when covid's gone away the fewer deaths we're going to have you know and that's the thing so i want to thank you both for coming on today um thank you for having us thank you it's been a great conversation um you know i think this is something that needs to be addressed and you guys are speaking for places all over the world i'm sure australia sure. you know yeah, going through that. right now yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah so uh yeah thank you so much for telling your story today sure yeah thank you for having us on and getting the information out yeah, man.